listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. What? For Short Term 12, Dingus. It's a movie that we saw this week. Oh. Uh, I am Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss Short Term 12 with you. And joining me is Christian Molnansky. It's a boy's name. (laughs) (laughs) And we have, uh, with a Short Term 12 tagline... I don't envy you for having to come up with this, Kelly Wand, but I'm looking forward to seeing what you do. Kelly Wand. Uh, my lovers always freak out whenever I announce we're going to have a baby. <laughs> okay. And right out of the gate. Where was that movie when I was doing the 3x3 three three for uh, best pregnancy announcements? And Seriously. you guys were all jerking around doing like, oh, alien. Oh. <laughs> that was my impression of you guys Ooh, when I did it. Chickens get pregnant. Uh, let's see. So, uh, <laughs> did any of that happen? I don't remember anything you guys just said ever happening. We had a three by three of best pregnancy announcements, and I had these three awesome things that I carefully considered and came up with. And you guys were both—I think you both had Alien, and Dingus did some Woody Allen movie, and I think he got Midnight Run in there. But Ding- Dingus was mocked for mentioning chickens. No, I—I I mentioned dinosaurs, and then you took umbrage with the fact that. An egg getting fertilized isn't pregnancy. Uh, Umbrageosaurus. Yeah, and that's how that three by three went. That was awesome. Wow. Yeah, but th- but Tom is absolutely right. Good God, what a great. Tom's- uh, anyway, moving on. So uh, well, yeah, so Dingus, what did we see? So we didn't go out to the theaters because the movie we saw was came out last year, by the way. So I don't so know. Can't be on our list for this year. No, well, year you would rolls. have to change your list for this year if you, you said I couldn't do that. No, and you cannot because that's been registered yeah. with the Library of Congress. They will not allow you. You would have to hire like Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt to break in there and change your list, Kelly Wand. So if you feel strongly enough about it, we can explore that possibility. Wait, you said Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt like someone else is going to play him someday? Like it's a timeless, iconic character. Jeremy Renner, hello. Yeah. He's going to play Tom Cruise? Sure. Okay. Jeremy Renner's taken over for a lot of stuff, Kelly Wand. I don't know if you're aware of that. What if Chris Pine plays Jeremy Renner? Oh, my God. Kelly Wan, stop. You're hurting my ears. Don't even go there. That's horrible. I'm just saying shit like you want me to. (laughs) Don't say that anymore. I don't want to. Oh, you care what I say. All right. (laughs) Uh, So we didn't go to the theaters this week. We stayed home and watched something. Dingus, what did we watch this week? Don't spoil it uh, because maybe some folks haven't seen it yet and they don't want anything given away. So without spoilers, Dingus, tell us a bit about what we watched this week. All right, this week we saw Short Term 12, hmm? a 2013 American drama movie. Tell you want to note that year. 2013. America? Drama. Movie. The It's about the line staff at a home for underprivileged kids. Wait, that that's not what I meant. <laughs> it was written and directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. Although now uh, he's just being referred to as as Destin Cretton. And it stars Brie Larson, John Gallagher Jr., Caitlin Deaver, and Keith Stanfield. Mm-hmm. Short Turn 12 was rated R. Ooh, okay. Go on. What? What do you mean? I didn't mean what did what'd you say, but really? Yeah, and Kelly, I that, mean, Kelly. That's a level drop. <laughs> uh, rated R for language and brief sexuality. I don't like how language is a thing. You don't Kelly like how I'm, yeah, you're I'm, a writer, Kelly Lou. Yeah, I'm going to let that one slip because it was clever, Kelly Wand. 
I think our level as a culture is dropping, man. Uh, so let's see. Short Term 12 did not have a theatrical release. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It did have a very limited theatrical release, but it didn't have the sort of theatrical release where the amount of money it makes mattered. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, is, it is just now out on, on video on demand, uh, so it, it's available to be seen uh, much more widely than it was when it opened, I think, last August, maybe? Um yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, uh, it is at 82. On Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't think we've seen this before, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, 99%. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. There was, I don't think we've seen a movie that had that kind of critical a consensus, 99. at least on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, the Metacritic and, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes use very different methodology. They're measuring different things. But I don't think we've ever seen a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is and, there 100? And, and to go, well, there is 100 if you click on Top Critics. The two reviews that are construed as negative on Rotten Tomatoes, those guys filter out. I think they were the, the Guardian and maybe the San Francisco Examiner or something, but those two reviews filter out when you press Top Critic on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so, Kelly, what do we learn from that math? Mm, nothing, because these numbers are meaningless. They're never right. They never seem right to me. Fair enough. Well, Every Kelly movie is 63. Kelly, I kind of... Uh, I, I'm... Uh, a little curious to see where you're going to go with synopsizing this movie. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was an easy one to do. That's the challenge, isn't it? I guess so. So, Kelly Wand, but first of all, what are you calling what you're going to do if you were to describe the events of the movie and thereby spoil it for people? What are you calling it? Um, and second of all, how did? Let, let's hear how you did it. <laughs> Wait. I just yes. want to make sure I follow you. You want me to do what it's called yes. and then do it. Yes. We did after exactly. I mean, say it. I already read it. I mean, I didn't read it. Do you, do you have any guesses what it's called? I'm so guessing, Kelly Wan, why don't you give us the short term Twelvopsis? No. Okay, well, but give us what you got. A, yeah. Uh, short Twerptopsis. <laughs> All right. That's what I want to hear, Kelly Wan. Rock and roll. Well, it's my first day here at Short Term 12. Uh, I think my parents are rich or something. Uh, anybody got any advice? I don't want the kids to pass out for my awesomeness or anything. <laughs> hey, Stubbly, tell the newbie here how you pooped your pants. Oh, uh, this morning uh, I was sitting on the toilet. I forgot to pull my pants down first. It's actually the 12th day in a row. Hopefully it's nothing long term. Uh, first world problem, I guess. Uh, hey, yo, I can relate. I used to be a pants critic till the economy took a shit. Some irony in there somewhere, maybe. That's a character I created for just the Opsis, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I did wonder who that was. There was no Mexican uh, counselor, but I felt they needed to be represented. I wanted to put more diversity in the Opsis. Can, can I briefly interrupt the Opsis to, to bring up something relevant? Yeah. I uh, So, you know, I, just for the listeners, could you do really quickly – what does it sound like when you're when you're doing the the chick from Pacific Rim? Could you just do a line from Pacific Rim by that the Asian chick who ends up sparring with Charlie Hunnam during one of the scenes and, and helping him pilot his mech? What's her voice sound like? I'm floating in space, George Clooney. <laughs> okay, that's if she was playing Sandra Bullock's role in Gravity. So very very good. I got that. Now no, that's the monuments, do, man. Well, now can you do for us uh, the voice of? She's Kevin, in the Axis powers. Can you do for us the voice of, of Kenneth Branagh from Shadow Recruit? You didn't close door extension cord. 
Okay, very good. Now, you, you mentioned your inspiration for some of your voices from different countries, and I wanted to share that with Dingus. So I showed Dingus a clip of Bay Ling from Crank. Hi. And, Hi. And, second. And, and rather than understanding what you were doing, Kelly Wand, I yeah. think even showing Dingus the, the clip from Crank, I think it offended him even more. What? <laughs> I don't think he enjoyed the Bay Ling clip from Crank. He felt it was racist. Yeah, Dingus, is that is that an Dingus appropriate? Dingus is very sensitive. About I am race. a sensitive man. That's true. Yeah. But does that does that approximate kind of how that went, Dingus, when I showed you <laughs> how much that, of that failing scene? That's Wait, kind of how that went. That? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Why <laughs> did Dingus hear her say it? It's where he first hooks up with her, and she calls a couple of guys faggots, and she's trying to make out with him, and she's yeah, it, she's just she's literally throwing herself at him. Um, Was she hit by a car? And then she gets she has sex with Jason Statham at the end, and then gets put on fire because he's on fire. I did. You mentioned that, and I didn't remember that she definitely does catch on fire at the end. Yeah, she she does burn up. Dingus um, didn't like that. I didn't show Dingus that part. I just wanted to show him a clip of some of uh, of the she inspiration for some of your voice work, and he did not seem terribly amused. At least not as much as I was. I, Bay you Ling, want crazy lady, Doctor Jones. By the way, Bay Ling is certifiably crazy. That woman is absolutely insane. The actress or the character? Uh, the, the actress. Like you, re- like, you read some of the stuff that she's been involved with. and, and so That's contra- not making fun of the mentally ill, not her, her ethnicity. <laughs> well, I'm sure Dingus will appreciate even more than... I'm sitting ducks. Unless <sighs> it's... Uh... Peking duck, white man! <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I just wanted to, to know. I was trying to cover for you, Kelly Wan, and I, I don't think it worked. I think it might have backfired. Now he hates both of us. And he hates Bailing. <laughs> and he hates uh, everyone. So at any rate, you did introduce a new character uh, who uh, to the short term. Not appeared in the Opsis yet, but you went. Oh wait, before you do any specific <laughs> rim accent, I'd like to share something. Dingus was upset by earlier. <laughs> All right, so carry on. So you you just left off with an observation from a character you'd introduced into the story. Oh, it was my Mexican guy, who okay. I guess doesn't offend Dingus. Okay, but he's also based on the Mexican guy from the Crank movies, and all my characters are. Okay, or Logan's run. Good morning, group. Yanni here, our surly black patient, is turning 18 this Saturday, so he'll be moving to prison. His fish will be sealed tight in a jar and dropped in the ocean. Yanni, do you have any requests for your going away party? Can I shave my head? Um, I meant food-wise. I don't want food or hair. All right, hang on, let me write that down. No food. Shouldn't be an issue. Uh, the head shaving's probably no go, but on the upside, by the time you're out of the system, all of it will fall out naturally. <laughs> And you'll be wrinkled, in case that was your next request. Uh, yes, stubbly. Yeah, not promising anything, but uh, fingers crossed, hoping I have a new poo and pants story ready by then. As soon as I come with a cool ending, been feeling a little block lately. Also having trouble writing. Thank you for sharing that. Redhead kid, yes. Can we play short round? <laughs> He's white, by the way. Uh, is that a real game, or just something you made up in your head just now? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yes, Stepley. Uh Can I tell them we're sleeping together? <laughs> uh, we also have a new orderly starting today. Flake, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, yo, my 911's Flake. Uh, I love to party. Walks on the beach, uh, movie podcast by video game players. Uh, just thought I'd take a year off from business school and work with second-class citizens. Say, what? Fuck you, man. Oh, hey, bro. No need to get uppity. Hey, where you going? Jeez, you people are so touchy. 
Okay, Flake, a little word of advice. You're starting to be an asshole the first year for them to respect your authority. <laughs> so just say no. Got it? No. Okay, that's not what I meant. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, red shirt. Yeah, just FYI, uh, Flake just won the game in my head. Black guy came in second, uh, and you, everybody else, uh, $600. <laughs> okay, let me get my checkbook. So what you think? Huh? My new desk plant. Things a trip. Just turns on and off by flicking that switch there on the wall. Try it. Uh, I don't, Fred, I don't think the brightness levels in your office are really pertinent. I said try it. Huh? How about that shit? Only cost taxpayers three G's after my cut. Wow. Live in the future, bitch. Any day now, they'll probably invent one that fucking runs on lava. Oh, that reminds me. You're in charge of the new troubled white girl. She bit her caseworker's nose off. I figured you got a little schnoz to spare. Hmm. Jaden, that's a weird name for a girl. <laughs> weird is Will Smith naming his son after his wife and his daughter after himself. Can I draw on the walls? You can draw anything you want on the walls as long as it's not a cockroach and a hot air balloon. <laughs> there was an incident. Hey, yo, it's me, Flake, talking. Uh, so whatever happened to that kid on the bus you pooped on? Uh, this hang elephant swooped down while I was wiping, wrapped its trunk around him, and disappeared with him over the ocean. Usually that part out, though. Kind of misses the point. Uh, this is later, so I might be doing <coughs> that. <coughs> this is so fun, sketching each other. It's like Titanic. <laughs> Just wish I had a sketch pad instead of the air. Can I move yet? No, but the drawing's done. What do you think? Uh, is that me? Of course, silly. This is what I see whenever I look at you. It's just a picture of an avocado. You got one stuck in your beard. Uh, wait, why is the avocado going inside an abortion clinic? Ow! God damn! <laughs> <laughs> what was that for? Nothing. Just hold me. Not just with one of your toes. The next day at Whiffle practice. La 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 la. <laughs> hey, Flake, should we jump rope sober? <laughs> no. Like that's not quite what I meant. <laughs> Strike three, black man. <laughs> okay, you two, break it up. <laughs> Tom's laughter... And Dingus's rage backdrop to this office. <laughs> You're just reminding me of Bei Ling. Yeah. Yes, me too. too. Oh, don't listen to him. He's so enraged. <laughs> okay, you two, break it up. Hey, you okay? Fuck, I've never seen people of different skin colors quarrel before. I'm still shaking. I think I shit my pants. Okay, thank you for that flag, but I was actually uh, asking Carlos here, who was hit by the bat. <laughs> That night. <laughs> Wait. That night. Wait. Hello? <laughs> Sorry. That was all part of the opsis. Avocado, there's something I need to tell you. We're going to have a baby. Did you just shit your pants again? Yeah. Sure hope that skips a generation. Can I feel it? You can't tell yet. Oh, shh. I can feel its heart beating under my hand. Does that mean your water's breaking? Uh, that's your heart. Hey, can we name it after the pet I had as a kid? What was its name? Goldfish and Bag. 
Guess what kind of pet it was. <laughs> uh, I think I might reschedule that appointment after all. The next day after Jaden's episode. Sorry about that, Stubbly, but once I told her you were inside the dog suit, there was just no stopping her. Either of us. Look on the bright side. At least this time the shit was kicked out of you. Yeah, I guess so. At least now I have a feeling what parenting will be like. I'm going to take this dog suit off and have a shower. Uh, actually, uh, some of the other kids were watching, and they said they felt a go-around would be constructive therapy for them. In fact, they said you don't even have to weigh in the dog suit. <laughs> Fine. How many are we talking? 44. I'll get the bats. Half a movie of near-fatal incidents later. <laughs> wow, all it took to convince my stupid boss to put it into a glaring case of child abuse was me smashing in a windshield with a baseball bat and his lamp. Guess just showing him all the scars and bruises would have been faster, but live and learn, I guess, huh, Stubbly? Huh? I wasn't listening. Oh, speaking of which, who do I see dating at Starbucks this morning? Our black dude and that chick who distant five years ago. I thought I was dreaming, but Michael Caine's Alfred was there, and he assured me <laughs> thick hallucinations. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, Red Kid's making another break for it. Flake? Is it really going to take all three of us to go after him and slow him? <laughs> no! Here we go again. Oy, 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 oy. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wand. I, I, yeah. I was worried. I yeah, didn't know if you would have material or if you could. Uh, yeah, well done. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> especially that, that new Dingus? The, the rollout of your new 50s Anchorman voice. Half an hour later. <laughs> that was my normal. Wait, you're saying I sound 50s? I'm saying I thought you were nice. trying out. I thought you were spinning out a new character. That's later after many terrible things happened. I thought it was a great. Yeah, you know, Bailing gets snubbed, and then I'm I'm getting not snubbed, and that seemed way worse. I, th- uh, I thought of it as an unsnub. I, I have to make a confession here, and my confession is: for quite a while, I think I thought that Brie Larson and Aubrey Plaza were the same person. Uh, Who's Aubrey Plaza? So, does her name wrong? Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now, which character was she? Uh, she's not in Short Term Twelve. Uh, she's from a show Dingus. So you watches. did an Emma Stone. Uh, the other chick from. Who's the one you confuse Emma Stone with? Because I've got her pretty straight these days. Who do you? Conf- he he thinks she's Viola Day- Davis. Oh, what's her name? Robbie, Carmen Robbie. I don't even know who that is. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. That's weird. Oh, right, because you said you said oh, you saw that and you thought Robert. you were Veronica Cartwright, and she's annoyed. <laughs> and she's annoyed at being constantly compared, like everyone's saying she looks like Emma Stone, and it reminded me when in 2007 Emma Stone was like getting tired of everyone saying I look like Lindsay Lohan. So it's like a red. Well, I think uh, aren't Aubrey Plaza and Brie Larson both in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Maybe not. Um, uh. uh... Oh, oh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I've confused yeah. with someone, maybe Brie Larson. At, at any rate, what? after seeing... That's a terrible. It, it, is it terrible? <laughs> well, I, well, at any rate, not, my point different. is, after seeing this movie, I don't think there's a danger of that anymore. Uh, did you guys see uh, Safety Not Guaranteed? No. The thing with uh, with Mark Duplass and, and Aubrey Plaza? Uh, so uh, Aubrey Plaza is, is great at what she does, but uh, it's kind of painful in Safety Not Guaranteed watching her trying to connect with uh, Mark Duplass, who's, who's very good, and he's doing some interesting stuff in that, but she just can't quite connect with him the way that good actors can in a movie. Uh, she Ooh. also did – Aubrey Plaza also did a movie called um, 
It was about it was about a sex list. Who it was a uh, it was with Leah Shawcat from Arrested Development. Uh, maybe it was called the To Do List, where she's trying to check off a list of of sexual activities, and it's supposed to be like a raunchy teen sex comedy. Um, and it is so painful watching Aubrey Plaza's uneasy approach to comedy in that movie because she's just wrapped in her own kind of ironic cool, this detached sensibility that she has. Um, and I, I was constantly reminded of that in Short Term 12, just marveling at how amazingly Brie Larson connects with the other actors in this movie. Uh, and especially for an actress, I guess, of her age, uh, she has a TV background, uh, just a, an amazing, eye-opening discovery is, is seeing her acting in Short Term 12. Why do girls need a to-do list? You can just go out and get it, whatever you want. Kelly, why I recommend you rent that movie, and it will answer those questions for you. All right. It just seems like it be a really short movie, unless your list is really <laughs> complicado. But yeah, she's the acting's great in this movie. I guess, is what you're saying. Right? Her? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that, that was... A, I didn't see the other thing that you didn't like. <laughs> uh, that was just a lot of the appeal, is just how... I think that's a lot of the appeal of the movie is is the performances and and specifically Brie Larson. She she is uh, here we go. She is the thinking man's Aubrey Plaza. See, when we saw your sister sister, you're like, oh yeah, Mark Duplass is getting owned by the sisters in this movie. So it's kind of like he, he's sort of outgunned acting wise. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying, what's her name's outgunned by Mark Duplass in the other movie? It's <laughs> kind of sad. <laughs> Nothing like I don't mean to just. I don't mean to diss Aubrey Plaza because she's really funny and she's good at what she does and she does that detached, ironic cool that she has is, is really effective. Um, but watching her try to connect with other actors can be painful uh, because she's it's just not part of what she does well. Watching Brie Larson, it's just – she's so amazingly effective at that. The scenes with um, – yeah, I wrote his name down because I hope to see more of him. John Gallagher Jr., certainly. I remember his name. But Keith Stanfield as, as Marcus, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just her playing the group leader, certainly her with the little girl playing Jaden. Uh, this movie just constantly right and left is about Brie Larson as an actress connecting with other really good actors. And the way she does it, and the various ways she does it, um, from being so powerful and so fragile from one scene to another, is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She's amazing in this. I I can't get over how she how she creates this character. It's ama- It's an amazing performance. Uh, I love too how they don't doll her up. Um, she has there is some makeup I can tell, but she's not like made up. Uh, her hair is in her face, and it's even stringy at times. Um, it, it's uh, it's compl- it, it's pretty unglamorous. Uh, you know, I love how they, how they look like working people in this, working stiffs kind of as, as these line workers at this home. Right, and the kids look like kids too, which is rarer than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um. I think I liked the acting more than the movie. I think by the end I felt it was resolved, like everything was like too tidy. Okay. Well, let me let me ask a quick question, uh, Tom. Um, on a scale of Sundancey, where would you put this? Oh, extremely so. Uh, um, well, the thing is, I think it ultimately, as Kelly Wander mentions, I think it ultimately becomes a, a little too Sundancey, and and yeah. I don't want that to necessarily be a a criticism so much as an observation and that for me can be a problem uh, but I think it's very Sundancey so I would give it Dingus 
an eight on the Sundancey scale. What about, Just, what about you? Well, well, I remember you asking me this before we saw win, or when we saw Win Win. Mm-hmm. So, is it more or less Sundancey than Win Win? Uh, so, mm-hmm. I would say, and, and I, I kind of hesitate to get into this too early because I do have some serious problems with the movie, but I, I would say that uh, it's more Sundancey than Win Win because of the subject matter. Um, it's uh. awfully Sundancey in its approach to the subject of mental disabilities and the most vulnerable people in, in, in children. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be Sundancey in a, a family drama movie about a dysfunctional family or a coming of age or something, that's kind of fine. Uh, but I, I did, I was a little more uncomfortable with the Sundanceiness here with this particular subject matter. Um, so for that reason, I would say it's more Sundancey. The Sundanceiness was more in my face. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wait, then in Win Win, you mean? Well, Win Win is just kind of a, a dysfunctional family story, and you know, there's the the, yeah. the subject, you know, the, there's the the mother son situ- relationship that uh, that that was certainly. Yeah, it was just about dysfunctional families. You know, Sundanceiness in stories about dysfunctional families, that's kind of fine because we can all relate to that. Everybody knows what it's like to not be able to get along with your parents or your children or your brother or your aunt or, or whatever. But the the subject of mental disabilities and specifically children with, with that affliction uh, is just really I, – I, I chafe more to see that treated glibly, to give that – to see that given a Sundancey treatment um, than I do just something universal like like – dysfunctional families yeah well it also undercuts i mean it feels like it's less about real people too yeah well it, it's right like you're watching well, I, to- I totally disagree with what you just said you feel like this movie feels like le- like less about real people than say fruitvale station well, it kind of haunted me and everything about it's, I know, probably, it's probably not a really fair comparison that is that is like, actually about real people yeah, I know, I know. But pretend it wasn't. I still think I would have the same reaction to it. Well, well, what I would agree with Kelly is not so much in the representation of the workers, because I think ultimately yeah. Short Term 12 is a fantasy story told from the perspective of the the guy, uh, the actor's name I think is France Turner, the, the character actor who plays her supervisor. Uh, he has a line about, you know, I look at these children and their broken eyes, and I, I want to go out and, and kick the ass of everyone who did that to them. And I think it's ultimately a fantasy story about that kind of fantasy, uh, told from the perspective of someone who's, who, who's young and doesn't have the appropriate cynicism yet. Um, and so the less real people are these, the, the, the patients, exactly. Um, the patients who are, are, are lovable and, and quirky um, and ultimately just, just need to be kind of held and understood and have experiences shared with them. And um, they're wise beyond their years, and they can save them, too. She can yeah, and, and, and Kelly, like, you're kind of making fun of it now, but I, I feel that it's not that bad. Like, it's not ridicule-worthy, um, but it is kind of a problem for me. And when you say it feels like it's about less real people, that's where I think that applies. Yeah. Um, is in the patients, the actors, and certainly the relationships. Like, if, if this had been a movie just about the relationship between Brie, Brie Larson and John Gallagher Jr., there is nothing unreal about that. That chemistry just pops off of the screen, and absolutely that doesn't feel unreal. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so, Dingus, go get in. So, I'm sorry, get, get in there. Uh, uh, yeah, so is, is that kind of what you 
we're, we're talking about is where, where you, you talk about it feeling like it is real people disagreeing with what Kelly was saying. Uh, is that kind of what you you meant? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, uh, I was very much aware of the Sundanciness because I remember you asking me that when we did the Win Win podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and Win Win really hit with me, and and some of the stuff that that character deals with with his mom and her neglect of him and the the uh, the difficulty the that the the, uh, the family has when the mom tries to muscle back into his life um, and the implication of abuse in those cases uh, kind of sort of struck home with what was going on in this movie although I think this movie deals with it in a more um, I don't know, a uh, gravity-based situation. So uh, so when I was watching this, and I really, really like this movie a lot, um, a friend of mine, uh, you know, told me, you know, sent a letter to me at the end of last year saying that this was her favorite movie in the year. And, um, and I could not find a way to watch it before making my list. There was no way to see it. And so finally, we got to see it now, and I'm pretty regretful because I think it would have wound up on, on my list. I really, really love this movie. Um, I, I disagree with, uh, you know, but anyway, I was, I was sort of sensitive to the idea of, of the Sundanciness of it, mainly because of the music, the way it's directed, the way it's shot. It really has that air of that sort of uh, Sunset Grill kind of feel of, of, and I and I understand what you're saying about glibness, although I I just don't want to paint this movie with that kind of brush because I just don't I, I I think that that they do feel like real characters and and are really I mean I I just the I kids. loved it too much to yeah the kids okay. and I I would I would say it's it's more of a fantasy from the point of view of the Nate character rather than that other guy I think it's I think it's it's as if the Nate character has come through this situation and made a film about it, rather than the guy sitting behind the desk. Uh, well, I say what I mean there is it's, uh, you know, the Nate character is kind of there for the audience, so that people can tell him what's going on, and he can be the new guy. And the right, audience and I, can... I imagine that's the director. That's just what I imagined. Right, like you can imagine he went through uh, a period working with kids like this, right? right. But, but sort of what I'm getting at, Dingus, is this idea... The, the implied uh, message here that it is the line workers, uh, the people who have day-to-day contact uh, with these, these children with these mental disabilities who know better than their caseworkers, than the therapists and the parents. There's early on a line where uh, – I think it's I think it's actually Grace, it's Brie Larson's character who says to Nate, "You're not their therapists, you're not their parents." Um, right, right. And yet, the ultimate, you know, the the I don't know about the message because I, I have a different feeling about the message that I want to talk about later. But the kind of the, the reveal or the dramatic flip that we find out is that in fact she does know better than the therapist. Right. She does know better than boss. the parents. She does know better than her boss. That right. she is able to infer from this octopus story, which, by the way, a fantastic dramatic moment. I don't. Yes. I don't find any yeah. fault in that octopus moment, dramatically speaking. And it, as a movie, and I also love this movie, Dingus. As a movie, I have no problem with that. But but the implied. What the implication there is that from hearing this story, she can rightly infer sexual abuse because she's that close to these children. And I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that as a treatment of mentally, of, of children with, with disabilities like this simply because, you know, I, it, 
it takes professional training to understand, to, to call from children what has happened to them. You know, the, the way children process that sort of trauma and the way they express it can be very dangerous if you just infer things from it. And I can't help but watch the movie and think of things like the Monkmartin daycare case, which was here in Southern California, which was for like, like six, seven years in the, in the 80s, there was this ridiculous witch hunt for child abuse at this daycare uh, facility. Or there was a movie that came out last uh, year, uh, a movie called The Hunt, right. uh, which is which is a similar subject matter. You know, what? how do you determine whether or not a child has been sexually abused? And The Hunt is all about the precariousness of that situation. So I just feel like there's a, there's a little bit of glib treatment of that in Short Term 12 that I don't mind dramatically because it's a powerful, incredible moment. It features two actors really connecting and telling a fantastic story and doing it with emotion. It's moving. Um, so I don't find any fault there. But as a representation of sexual abuse and how children are treated, I did find some fault with that. Um, and, and that's why I think that the, the boss character has – decent points he's not this evil guy and right. and when she she makes that in, insinuation that well it's yeah especially not for people who are friends of yours right um that thing about him you know i've been looking after these people longer than you've been alive and and it's not your job to interpret tears those those things that he says m- make a lot of sense and i think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense too um but her ability as a character as grace and and uh, John Gallagher's character as well, having personal relationships with these with these kids, mm-hmm. um, I, I understand their ability to suss those things out as well. I mean, when John Gallagher goes in there and listens to Marcus say his raps, or when it, the, the the sense I get is that these scenes we're seeing are not the only scenes that are happening. That there are other things that are going on, and there's a whole life that's going on in, at this at this facility, and that these two individuals damaged and undamaged are living the life with these kids and have a sense of it that the therapists and the teachers simply cannot have like when they remove all that kids dolls for instance and she says he's not ready for that right she might be right and they might be right right um it's just the immediacy of of what's happening at that ground level and that's what i liked about this because it reminds me as as somebody who's done a lot of teaching especially with kids with special needs that the, the teacher has a certain level of understanding, and then the paraprofessionals, who are the people who are like actually holding the hands of the kids walking down the hall, have a different level. They might not have the expertise, but right. they have a certain other level of understanding of the day-to-day, minute-to-minute, sort of granular feeling of what's going on with these kids. And that's what I liked that this offered. And I would say – and yeah, and that, that by the way, is, is – Part of what's so, I hesitate to use this word because it always makes me not want to see a movie when somebody uses it. But that's what makes it so heartwarming uh, is that it really is uh, a story about just the value of these line workers, you know, by just being there with these people, just sort of sharing time. Um, Yeah, I I love that part of it. Um, And and, and ultimately, it's definitely not a bummer. That's, yeah, it's a. a, You can recommend it to people and go, they won't come out hating me for recommending it. But I think the overall point uh, isn't, and and I wanted to make this clear, when I was saying that it's kind of like the fantasy of the line worker knowing better than the professionals, uh, I don't feel that's the point of the movie. I feel that the overall point of the movie is is a lot closer to what Dingus is saying, and and actually what Dingus is saying, uh, is this idea of of paying it forward, 
Uh, and the movie makes it very clear that uh, John Gallagher's character, Brie Larson's character, understand these people because they've gone through the same things that they are currently going through. You know, I love the scene where we discover that John Gallagher comes from a foster family. Yeah. Uh, I, I, even though, again, I have some questions about this being um, – as a therapeutic procedural, I don't think it's wise, but I love the scene where Brie Larson is comparing her, her cutting scars with Jaden. Uh, now, again, I was a little uncomfortable with this idea that it, it, it looked like the scars were almost a badge of honor. Like, I, just I, as, as and someone. It was that easy. They both had the exact same. Right. And, and just part of it is that my, you know, I was, my mother was a, a mental health professional. I mean, that's, that's what her job was. And I remember her telling stories about some of the difficult patients that she's worked with and, and actually being physically attacked and almost killed at some point by someone who tried to strangle her. Uh, like this is, this isn't something that I've personally worked with, but through, through my mother's experience, it's something that I've been aware of. Um, I, I'm just a little uncomfortable with this idea of, you know, the comparing scars, and then if you, if you just show each other that you understand each other, everything's fine. But dramatically, I think that that scene was great, you know. And, and so I think the point is that in order to – that a big part of helping people with these disabilities is understanding them. And, and being someone who's been cured of that issue or who struggled with it yourself, and then you can uniquely share – that experience and you have unique insight into what these children are going through. And I think that's the overall point of the movie is that the reason that Brie Larson's character and John Gallagher's character and uh, presumably – we don't find this out, but maybe Nate, maybe the Hispanic girl uh, – is that they understand these kids because they were these kids at one point. Um, and, and I think that would be the overall message, uh, that the best people to help these troubled folks are people who were at some point similarly troubled. And well, they're, and they're still working through some of their own trauma. Exactly. Well. I mean, maybe not Mason, but certainly Grace is. I mean, uh, Mason is uh, John Gallagher's character. Right. I can't believe I didn't remember that because it's my brother's name. But uh, but uh, Mason seems like he's more well adjusted than Grace um, to a certain extent, and their relationship is fascinating as well. But 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 what's just to build on what you're saying is that that um, Grace hasn't really come through all the way healed because now her father's coming out of prison and she's having to deal with she's sort of trying to fix somebody else and she's dealing with her own pregnancy and all of these other things it's clear that in, from their sexual relationship that she she hasn't figured out a way to trust him fully and the, the movie is sort of the story of her doing that as well and and also this interesting progression of she can help somebody else while she's still trying to heal. I mean, in that in that last scene with Melora Walters, where she's finally learning how to talk to her therapist after this many years. I mean, it's it's fascinating that somebody who's damaged can still help can still help somebody who's more damaged. It's like they're they're all in these like progressions, right? And uh, how mad are you guys that we only got two Melora Walters lines? I'm pretty mad. Ugh. <laughs> because because it, you, you see, like, uh, Short Term 12 starring Melora Walters. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Couldn't believe that. When I is she like, going to show up? Yeah, where's the rest of that? <laughs> and she's listening. Oh, uh, I uh, guess – go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think this movie's worth seeing, and the acting is really good. Mm-hmm. So my snark is just, like, the contrivances of – story arcs that I, I don't know, I could just see it coming. 
yeah, it is formulaic, kind of the way they have the manufactured crisis, just like right before the third act that they finish up just in time. And <laughs> but I, I don't necessarily begrudge it that. Uh, I get the sense. So you know how it opens with the the story where uh, where Mason is talking about having pooped his pants and how <laughs> the the uh, you, you find out halfway through that the patient who made him do it had this terrible ending where he was someone who fell between the cracks. You know, he ended up dying and they found his body and, and it, it, it has that sort of dark twist, but it, the end of the movie is about, uh, Marcus's hopeful ending. Um, so it's kind of a counterpoise to the little, the, the dark bit that it had set up earlier is that Marcus gets out and you find out, yes, he hooked up with the girl. He's doing great. Uh, and there's the happy ending. It's the very hopeful reveal that sets off the, the dark one. Um, it's also a gastrointestinal disaster as opposed to a sexual hookup. Uh, well, no, the guy dies, though. <laughs> as opposed to cappuccino? No, yeah, but I'm saying the storyteller. Right, but I'm saying that the, the, the reveal, both of the stories have a reveal. Right. The reveal of the first story where, where uh, Mason poops his pants is that it turned out that the guy who, who precipitated the event, they found his body like dead in a ditch. I forget what it was, but it was some terrible ending like that. The reveal about the story at the end, hey, this dude who was a patient here, uh, he, he hooked up with the girl and it was awesome. And by the way, that patient was Marcus. You know, that's the reveal there. Right. Uh, so both of the stories have a reveal. The initial one has the dark twist. The later one has the hopeful twist. Unless um, we're just not hearing the dark twist to the Starbucks story. And the initial one, too, is is not the storyteller's reveal. I mean, he doesn't want to tell it. Right, exactly. Right. And she she makes that clear. She's like, you can't really trust any of these stories he's telling. And the, and she's the one who has to make that reveal. And and I do feel, though, that, that these two counterpoints, these these two story, stories that are a foil to each other are kind of the point of, of Dustin Cretton. How do we say his last name, Dingus? Do we I'm just saying Cretton. I haven't heard his name in interviews. Well, but I, it, it is Dustin Daniel Cretton or Dustin Cretton. Okay. Well, I kind of feel that this, uh, you know, he, he's made this upbeat story, what, what's ultimately an upbeat story, and I get the sense that this is someone who is obviously too young to be cynical yet, and I treasure that about this movie. I don't think it should be held against the movie, even if it's like an observation I make. And if I could sit here and fold my arms and think, well, this is a terrible thing and it should be done. <laughs> I, I really treasure that, that, that Dustin Cretton is not cynical yet and that he translates that so well into this movie. Uh, so I would never want that to be a strike against the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, Tom. All right, Kelly Wand. <laughs> um, uh, go ahead, Dingus. I was just going to ask uh, for some more thoughts on other acting, but you go ahead. What were you going to say? That's what I wanted to bring up. Uh, right. So what what blows me away about Keith Stanfield, Stanfield who played Marcus in the short uh, movie that this was based on, I, I think it's rare that an, that an actor that young knows the power of being quiet and small. Yeah. God, he was awesome. He, he reminded me. Not at all, of course, in terms of, of his physical appearance, but in terms of how keenly aware he is of that, of the power of being quiet and small. He reminded me of Cameron Bright. Wow. Is that? Uh, Cameron Bright was in a movie with Nicole Kidman called Birth. He's a child actor uh, who was, uh, just has this kind of preternatural adultness to him. Was he uh, running scared? Yep, exactly. He's a dog-sucking kid. Yeah, yeah. From I'm going to tag it. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, and so just Keith Stanfield, and I don't I don't know if he has other credits, but man, he was so good. Um, his rap was good too. His rap that was, was another awesome scene. This movie has really individually wrapped scenes I really enjoy. Yeah, and and that Dustin Cretton knew to just you know what, just give this dude the camera for for two three minutes, however long that was, and just hold it on his face, uh, just really tight in on his face. That rap scene was awesome. Yeah, yeah, he did feel like a real person, actually. Forget what I said earlier. Were we gonna say things? <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say it's it's it was such a pleasure to watch this guy, and I was like, where where have we seen him before? Uh, and he was he was in the short and. Uh, he was actually uh, just working on learning growing marrow, mar- growing pot, basically. <laughs> I like Dingus didn't know what to call it. <laughs> Marijuana, the the Mary Jane, Marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> and, Wait, he's uh, working on growing pot. What are you talking about, Dingus? He was working yeah, in a legal pot growing. Oh, oh, I see. Operator. The actor was. Yeah, and oh. um, and he hmm. and he checked a bunch of his like unread message, uh, unread emails, and and uh, and. Uh, the director had asked him, look, you know, we're going to be doing this movie. Can you come in and audition? He had to re-audition for it. He had to come in and audition. And uh, and the guy cast him as Marcus again. Uh, and he's just fantastic. He's just amazing. Oh, he, he, had, he had done the short, and then they get together the financing and whatever to do the remake, and he had to re-audition for it, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Ah! <laughs> but he couldn't. But the director couldn't find him because he's off, you know, learning to grow marijuana, basically. Jesus <laughs> It's all related. <laughs> um, so he went in to, to do the audition and just basically went into this guy's living room to do the audition and uh, and knocked him out. Uh, Dingus, where do we know John Gallagher Jr. from, or do we? Uh, I Only I know him, because I'm the only one who's ever watched the show The Newsroom. Uh, I mean, he's, he was oh. in Margaret. I don't remember him from that. Um, he was? Yeah. He's probably one of the kids in the drama class or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Actually, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, he was also in Jonah Hex, but I, I, I never saw oh, him. Oh, well, okay, so I would know him from that. All right. So yeah. I think it's we're tied. It's a Gallagher. But he's in, in this uh, show, The Newsroom, which most people really, really hate. It's this... Uh, it's this it, It's this Aaron... No, it, yeah, yeah. It's Aaron Sorkin's, like, take on... Take on... Yeah, a lot of people think it's just a liberal n- news show. Uh, which it is, um, but he's so good in it. I really, really like him, and he plays that sort of. Uh, he plays the character in this, but you know, the super smart, like Yale graduate type who's going to fall in love with somebody, but he's the awkward, kind of nerdy, but not totally nerdy guy, but super smart. Um, he's really, really good in the newsroom. Uh, I, I'm, I was just delighted to see him in this. He's really good. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Who is better? Brie Larson with a bat in Short Term 12, or <laughs> Emily Blunt with an axe in Looper. Wait, why are you going Sharni Vincent? Oh! Blonde. I'm so blonde. happy you said that, Kelly, because when she's standing next to the bed, that's exactly what I saw. <laughs> I, yeah. I thought of Sharni Vincent. I, d- I do love uh, seeing a woman with a strong, confident swing like that. Yeah, yeah I like jock chicks. <laughs> I'm going to have to choose Looper, because I just... Uh, it's so well lit. Good lord, she's she looks so awesome when she's using that axe. She gave me a glance slam, and I. Oh, and, I and I also kind of resented that scene because um, because Grace gets to do the lion's share of the work, where whereas Jaden is the one who should really. 
Well, the move, she is the lead actress, Dingus. Jaden's Yoda, she comes in so, oh, yeah. Um, don't worry, yeah. It seems, um, here, go destroy. Yeah, yeah go on, I want to hear this. Can you, can, you, can you give us a little more detail on this Jaden as Yoda thing you got going? Jaden comes in and gets in the blonde girl's backpack and then takes her down to the driveway and goes, don't worry, the tree, he's like, he will sleep through anything because he's hallucination in the tree. And then uh, she beats the windshield and then Jaden goes, a real line worker would have had the windshield in 12 pieces by then. <laughs> and then uh, Kelly Rod, you're a writer, so you would understand this. but <laughs> I think that's come across tonight. But go on. <laughs> Normally, whenever in written dialogue, a character says... The, has this response to a line, I feel like, come on, writer, you could have done better than this. And that response, which I always feel is weak, is whatever. I normally hate that in a movie. I feel like that's, don't write, you know, write, some, write something Wait, else than that. That's a, it's a case by case, I would think. Well, it, well, I was going to say, in this movie, there are two cases where I was like, okay, good. I like it. That was a good use of whatever. Is that twice I, in the movie? When, yeah, because normally when I hear whatever, I just think the, the writer is lazy and he couldn't come up with something good. But, but the earth blew up and it was some, like, whatever. That'd be kind of funny, right? Or it's when somebody gets like insulted or slammed. I just feel like, that doesn't work. Come on, writers. Earn your money already. Come up with something other than whatever. Uh, but there are two times in this movie when it comes up. Uh, one is when uh, when Jaden and Grace are drawing, and Grace is telling her story about saving up money for uh, it's a boombox or something. No, it's it's uh, the uh, the Walkman with shock protection. Ah, right, right, exactly. And you're old, says, right? And she's like, whatever. And it's her it's her line reading too. <laughs> uh, Brie Larson's line reading on that is so good. It's not like a Valley Girl, whatever. It's a it's completely it's a whatever. Like <laughs> I just love how much life and and lilting she puts into her line reading of whatever. So that worked. It's but also th- a multi generational term. Every like even the young get what whatever means. I guess so. Uh, then the other ones what? I'm sorry. Well, I want you to just listen for it from now on, Kelly Wong. When you hear whatever, I want you to. Tell me whether you think the writer could have come up with something better. Because here's another time when it happened in the movie where I felt it worked. Um, when uh, when Grace says to Jaden, uh, "Your dad is coming to pick you up," you know, aren't you excited? And Jaden says, "Whatever." And it's we don't know yet about the abuse situation, but uh, upon reflection, you know, it's a it's a it's a meaningful moment. You know that that she has to express her feelings about her father, and she hides them by saying, "Whatever." Um, and so it's not just that; it's the it's the feeling that he's probably going to let her down, and the other thing. Right. I mean, she can't get herself too excited for a number of reasons. Right. I right. mean, it's just there's so many layers to that. Whatever. I mean, that's a really good observation, Tom. Yeah, but normally, yeah, whatever's, both... whatever's are terrible. I feel like this movie had two good whatevers. Uh, by the way, do you know that that actress, Caitlin Deaver? I. Oh, Dad Gummit! I totally have seen her in something. I meant to look it up. What do we know her from, Dingus? Well, what I know her from, and and this is, I mean, there's most of my touchstones with these actors are TV things. Is that she was in this great cycle of of the of uh, the show Justified, where she plays this girl oh. named Loretta McCready who gets uh, who is in the in the middle of this awful power play, and and it, oh, that's her. Yeah, and is and is her like dad. kidnapped, and her dad. Yeah, she's awesome in that, and she's just so distinct. I mean, she's just got this amazing look about her. She was, of course, uh, a, a little bit younger then, but for a kid, it's it's much younger because uh, I think that was like 
three years ago that she started in that show, or four maybe years ago. Um, but yeah, she was in Justified, and I was I thought she was great in that, and then to see her crop up here was amazing. I thought she was fantastic. What do What do we know Nate from? Uh, Nate, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that guy was so goofy. Uh, I and not not sexual or anything, but watching him eat a banana is one of the silliest things I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Like, why is the character eating a banana? <laughs> well, when girls do it, it's hot, and then when guys do it, it's like... No. One, two, three, not only you and me, got I had a better one than that. In between, you have to wait till the end of the podcast. You're the one I added the chamber. God, we haven't even talked about level structure yet. Damn it. Level structure? Uh, I watched the Tom stupid trap. He's going to be back <laughs> last level... What is level structure? I just love that whole, it's a level drop, and they don't explain it. <laughs> All right, well, we've covered that now. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay, there we go. Well, we I got that in here. Yeah. Anything else? I think this is correct. <laughs> um, ah, Andy, Tom. What? Never, Britney's are too precious to waste on banana eatings. Tell more. you what, sometimes a banana eating is just a banana eating. That's I uh, I showed Dingus a scene from because uh, Kelly Wan, you made me watch the first season of American Horror Story, and I, I did love the bit with uh, Alexander Barrett and Frances O'Connor being the old slash young maid, and depending on who's looking at her, she's either super young and hot, or she's actually uh, an elderly woman. Uh, and so, as I was, I was even as Conroy, I, I I I mean, I'm not trying to be lascivious or anything, but I I love Frances Conroy as well. Yeah, I think she's got a really she's, hot voice. Yeah, is that it? Is it her voice? And red hair. I, that's it as well. Yeah, like I really do think, man, yeah, if I'm like ever that old, I would, I would totally hook up with a Francis Conroy. Maybe yeah. even before I'm that old. What am I saying? Yeah, there's something Just really there's something weirdly sexy about Francis Conroy, isn't there? I don't know what that is. You know, she'd be fun. Remember when she was in uh, the Aviator as a Hatburn? Oh, I was thinking of Stone. The the that. Uh, yeah, Stone. Fuck shit, goddamn. Yeah, yeah exactly. right. <laughs> Kelly Wan quoting Stone. It's a troubled marriage. But anyway, so I, I showed Dingus the scene where you first find out that, oh, Dylan McDermott sees her as Alexandra Barrett, or whatever that chick's name is. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, Connie Britton sees her as Frances Conroy. So I showed Dingus that scene, and Dingus pointed out, which hadn't even occurred to me, look at Dylan McDermott eating that banana. <laughs> or he said something about, I love the way Dylan McDermott eats <laughs> that banana. What do you think of that accent for you, Dingus? I think it's pretty good. Leg. <laughs> Let me eat that banana. <laughs> See? All right. All right. Then we'll save that for three by three. Our Don't watch the second season. <laughs> we'll save we it for cast. Uh, let's do a three by three. Oh, uh, I love this topic. I oh, really, good, good. I, I don't know. Not how. so much mine. I'm excited about other people's. Okay. Well, this this topic is we did a topic where we where we like movie references and other movies, but this is a topic where you don't like a movie being directly referenced from another movie. And the example I gave last week was in uh, Near Dark. Uh, Catherine Bigelow has the the actors walk in front of. And I know this is ridiculous, Dinkins. That's why you're laughing. Walk down the street in front of a marquee that said that for a theater that is showing aliens, and the actors walking in front of the marquee are Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, and Jeanette Goldstein. That's not and, the movie, though. I was thinking. 
It's just the marquee, so is that really the same thing? Well, it's a reference, direct aliens. Yeah, and I'm like, Catherine Bigelow, that's not cute. And, and as you pointed out last week, she was married to Cameron at that time. So it was just like a stupid little yeah. inside joke. And I'm, by the way, constantly... It's an anniversary I'm, present. Uh, maybe it was, yeah. That's what you do on your third anniversary is a movie reference. Fourth anniversary yeah. is silver. Everybody Fifth knows is this. silver Eight. nitrate. Sixth is <laughs> um, But, so I want examples of that sort of thing, where a movie references another movie and you don't like it. Um, you don't normally pick bad, like, negative topics, so that's another reason. Well, that's also one of the... I, it's easy to do stuff that you like, but I have a harder yeah. time because if I don't like something, I don't think about it and I don't remember it. I just forget about it. So. I've noticed when I listen to people on podcasts, like I usually enjoy more people kvetching and hating on things. Ah, well. When people we... talk about what they like. It's like, well, yeah, okay, I liked something else. Who gives a shit? And if they point yeah. out something stupid and something, oh, yeah, that was dumb when Bill yeah, Paxton. I, uh, I really hate that you said that, Kelly. That's so stupid. You know, I can't stand that Kelly Wong guy either. Oh, my God. He's so he insane. Oh, voice? oh, when he does that that Asian chick from Pacific Rim, who can deal with that? Oh, it's terrible. So, Kelly Wan, does that make better podcasting when we're doing that? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so next week, next week, 3 by 3 will be introduced by Dingus. So, Dingus, why don't you give us your, your number three pick for a, a movie and a movie that you didn't like? All right, my movie and a movie that I didn't like is uh, exactly the same thing from a different movie that Tom is talking about, just characters walking down a street, uh, and there's a marquee in the background that's uh, from a movie produced by the same producer. Mm. Um, And this is a quote from it. That's hardly important, but you may call me Mr. Joshua. Uh, I know this. It's a dumb line. I know. It's it's something I don't like. I remember hearing that line and going, ugh. Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua. What's that? Is that I Am Number 5 or one of these fucking... Kids throwing CG at each other movies. Is it the thing where Richard Pryor plays like a butler or, or something? Be more specific. It? <laughs> it's not the toy. Is the it toy. the toy? Uh, they call me toy. Joshua. I don't know. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. D- that's what your guess is? <laughs> that was Jackie Gleason <laughs> listening to Richard Pryor. <laughs> Never mind. You were doing a City Poitier joke, I think. A very convoluted one. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's going on you here. Don't know what you help doing. us out here. All right. Get into All right. this. So, uh, Mr. Joshua is played by Gary Busey. If that helps you any. Predator. Silver Bullet. The Predator Two. Uh, it is from a movie called Lethal Weapon. <laughs> what? What's the movie of that? It's got to be a Richard Donner movie, huh? It is. It's oh, a, a so Richard Donner directed Lethal Weapon, and right. and at one point, um, uh, Murtaugh and Riggs are. Let's get walking. too old for this shit. Or, yeah, they're too old for the shit. And he's I mean, crazy. There's crazy. another one that's worse that they that there's another reference that's worse uh, that Donner does in Maverick. But this is the one I, I that I remembered that that when Tom was talking about that near dark thing that immediately popped into my head because Murtaugh and Riggs are walking down a street in Hollywood and uh, behind them I, mean, I remember sitting in a theater in 1987 uh, and seeing this marquee behind them that says This summer's hit Lost Boys. Mm. And uh, wait, that's a Richard Donner movie. It's it. He produced it. It's a it's it's a movie he produced, and it wasn't going to come out till a little bit later. Um, and of course, it's a Joel Shoemaker movie. Uh, and I really disliked Lost Boys a lot. I mean, there's a better Lost Boys reference in a different movie, but in this particular movie, in Lethal Weapon, which I really liked the movie, I was just like, why is that here? What? I was shilling for Schumacher is even worse. It, it is. It really that's, is. That's just so horrible. <laughs> They're just walking down the street <laughs> in Hollywood. Oh, and shit. 
And there's this marquee behind them. I, I haven't been able to find it. I don't own Lethal Weapon, so I couldn't watch it. But I just remember so vividly in my head the first time I watched Lethal Weapon, seeing that marquee. And it just, it's that, it's one of those moments that you suddenly, you're zapped out of the movie. You're like, oh, well, why is that here? Oh, uh, it's a Lethal Weapon. Why am I watching something called Lost Boys? Is that going to be a thing? Oh, I'm going to see that next year. Um, and it, it's just one of those things that I really hate. I hate movie references that take me out of the movie. So when Tom mentioned the Near Dark thing, I immediately thought of Lethal Weapon. Kelly Wand, I believe there's a circle for hell reserved for uh, shilling for Schumacher. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what's a number three example for you of a, a movie within a movie you didn't like? Wait, can I say something about dinguses? Sure, sure, absolutely. I just want to – probably kind of biting the hand that – fed me, but it always bugged me in like DreamWorks animated movies where there'd be like a reference to a DreamWorks live action movie that kids wouldn't have seen. Like in Shark Tale, there was like a movie poster for The Hook. Oh, there's my number one. Thanks, Kelly Warner. I almost had a Disney one too, but go ahead. Like product placement disguised as cleverness. Well, that's uh, that's uh, this isn't quite the same because of the characters, but that's how I felt about all the Star Wars figures in Poltergeist and their Star Wars sheets and like Poltergeist uh, is lousy with Star Wars crap. Maybe that I think that one's a little different only because that is what most kids' sheets were like that year. Wasn't it? Mm, it was like okay, fair Star enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but if they were Phantom Menace sheets, now we'd all go what? Which is what the Poltergeist remake will. Kelly, want to have a quiz for you? Yeah. In Lethal Weapon, is One. Mel Gibson Murtaugh or Riggs? He's Riggs. Wrong. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what is your number three pick for a favorite movie within a movie? This year, all kids' sheets are 3D. <laughs> uh, oh, did you guys hear Michael B. Jordan's going to be in Episode 7, or did I dream that? Episode 7 of what? Exactly. Uh, my number three is uh, – I'll do a line from it. Oh. Uh, Guess we're flying the Prometheus to this fucking planet or something. It's referenced in Prometheus. They didn't oh, that's, have my, that's my number two, you jerk. Ah, you're not fooling anyone, Lindelof. You're not I'm, fooling anyone. I'm Fuck so, you. I'm so it's fucking deadly. Yeah, it's terrible. Wait, what are you talking oh. about? I didn't, I didn't catch it. What? You don't remember this? There's a, I, there's a movie reference in Prometheus. Yeah, let, let me give him a quote, Kelly. Yeah. There's nothing in the desert. And no man needs nothing. Oh God, yeah, right. Jeez, yeah. Well, what you guys remember far too much about Prometheus. It's, just, right. a, it's just a line from a film I like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I hate it. I no, hate come on, it. I'm sure that thematically there is some tie in between Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> and and the Pinocchio figure that, that Michael Fassbender was playing in Prometheus. I'm sure there's got to be some connection. It's not winding that it hurts. It's just that line, but it's buried in all that other stupid shit. Like, what do I choose to believe? Fuck you! Uh, David Lean, you think you're fucking David Lean, motherfucker? Explain the scene for us, because if it's on your list as well, I want I want to hear you describe. The fact that aliens robots would watch a David Lean movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it is that, and he he dyes his hair, and it's at the very beginning of the movie, and he's watching, it, and he says something, and some na- unnamed crew member asks, "What's that? What are you saying?" And he just says, "It's just a line from a film I like," and and it's just Ridley That's Scott. A- Faffing about with Lawrence of Arabia. See, because the engineers didn't mind that it hurt. They were just going to do, fuck you. (laughs) It's almost like I can imagine either Lindelof or Ridley Scott looking at Michael Fassbender and kind of saying, you know, from certain angles, he does look a little bit like Peter O'Toole, like a young Peter O'Toole. 
Right. Let's do something about complex. That. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh, David Lean, he's cool. <laughs> you know what else is irritating? It's like, Words of Arabia really presents this sumptuous, weird world of the desert and makes it mysterious and exotic. Yeah. And Prometheus goes to the fucking shit sewer <laughs> planet. Is that the name of the planet? I don't know. They put the probes out, and then the probes just disappear or something. Fucking, oh, God. But at least Idris Elba gets to have sex with Charlize Theron. Yeah, he's not busy trying to watch for monsters and (laughs) killing the two guys that somehow got lost. Oh, and remember the ridiculous music he liked to listen to? I don't. What did Idris Elba? Oh, was it like jazz or something? It's like ragtime or jazz. (laughs) He had a Stephen Stills accordion. Yeah, that's right. I can't believe we're talking about Prometheus this long. <laughs> Here we are, talking about Prometheus. Wow, Lindelof really got through to you guys, didn't he? The, the Lords of Arabia things, I was seething instantly when I saw it. I'm like, oh. Well, good, then here's a... I was abs- I'm absolutely with you, Kelly. I just can't get over... It just seems like, and and this is this for me is the perfect representation of the topic as far as Tom presents. Yeah. Is this? Is this I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna mention something that I really like and hope to write its coattails, and I, it has nothing to do with the character or the movie at all. I'm just yeah. gonna pretend I know something about it, and that that is Ridley Scott writ large. I mean, he he doesn't. When you listen to him talk about commentaries. On his commentary tracks, he doesn't know why his movies work. He has no idea what's going on. I don't know what's up with him. And that he brings up Lawrence of Arabia and makes his character blather on about it is just a perfect, perfect sort of small look at what Ridley Scott is. It's just amazing to me. Oh, it drove me nuts when we saw that. Yeah. Let me speaking of piggybacking and writing or speaking of writing on coattails, let me see if I can piggyback onto you guys' rage and see if you share this with me for my number three pick. So uh this is a, a vapid trifle of a romantic comedy that has the nerve to have its two grating leads riffing on Casablanca. And then watching it together, and, and it, it brings them together as they watch it, long distance. And that movie is When Harry Met Sally. I hate all Casablanca references, no, and it's in every fucking movie. If some movies deserve it though, but when Harry Met Sally yeah. is so vapid, and I cannot, I watched the scene again, and I cannot believe it was physically painful me watching Billy Crystal try to act with Meg Ryan. At least Meg Ryan, she's awful, but at least there's like she's cute, and I'm watching it thinking, oh, she's going to be really good in a few years and in the cut. But yeah. but Billy Crystal is, oh my god, I really want to hit him with a baseball bat in the nuts like they do in Parental Guidance. He is so grating. Who does not hate that movie? Just into his car because he sleeps through anything. Kelly, one. This is short-term twelve reference. Very good. But anyway, I feel like it doesn't earn a Casablanca reference. You can't have that Casablanca reference in that movie. Some movies, fine, maybe, but certainly not this. And and it shows them watching it. Like I guess they live in different cities at this point or something. And they're watching. They just live across town from each other in Manhattan. Yeah, but Manhattan's big. But anyway, they're not living in the same – they're not in the same building. Like, they don't live together. They haven't hooked up yet. Call they're, and talk, watch TV. I guess – you know what, Dingus? I was thinking of the one where uh, Meg Ryan – I was thinking of the one where Meg Ryan lives in Seattle and Tom Hanks and lives in New York. Sleep. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the they watch. That's, that's big. Yeah. You've got mail. It must stuff. be, yeah. But you know – well, Do you understand the context of that scene, of that scene, though? Because yeah, at the beginning, she thinks the context of that scene, she should have gone with Paul Henry's the, the character. The context of that scene is that they're idiots. 
Well, that, that's, no, that's that's the text of the scene. <laughs> okay, what's the context? <laughs> the context is that... I mean, yeah, as, as very bit Sally to me. I need this. Go ahead. Early on, when they first meet and they're driving across the country together, right. they're arguing about that movie. Right. And they're arguing about whether or not she would have uh, chosen to go with him or not, and who... And, and the, the argument comes down to the fact that one guy's good in bed and the other guy's not good in bed. Wow, listen to how much Dingus remembers about when Harry met Sally and Kelly Wand. Mm, I'm, ju- I'm, looking at the, I'm, I'm just reading the wiki right now. He's our Meg Ryan. <laughs> right, and that's a stupid thing to reduce Casablanca to. Casablanca is, 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 is one of the timeless love stories, and it has nothing to do with whether or not Victor Laszlo or Rick is good in bed. It has to do with well, the fate of the free world. Exactly, and that, mm, but that's all related. Co- that's, that's a college dude trying right. to reduce it to to an orgasm. And, and exactly, thank you, Dingus. You made my point. Her yeah. fake orgasm thing's kind of bullshit too. <laughs> but then when they're watching it together, and Kelly, Wanda, I heard you try to get in a reference to this. I want to mention it. They're uh, watching it together, long distance or whatever it is when you're on one side of Manhattan or the other, and they're 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 watching it on TV over the phone, like simultaneously watching it. So I guess that's cute, that's clear. nobody does that anymore because these days you're not watching something because it's being broadcast on TV. You know, you're streaming it on Netflix or whatever. Um, but Kelly Wand, it did make me think of when you and I watched Tentacles. Yeah, we weren't on the phone. Were we? I thought we were. Uh, we texted. You're on your little no. Xbox headsets. Did we have live chat? Go- or were we talking or was it just texting? No. We wouldn't have been able to. We wouldn't talk during the movie. I guess you're right. Start we were texting during the movie, though. Well, I we don't think we we didn't mean to watch the whole movie, but it kind of sucked us in. Get it? Ah, yeah. very good. Yeah, we got wrapped up. It was kind of fun. See what I and did? He, See what I did? But I would have gone with the tentacle because he was the practical choice. He's better in bed than you, Tom. I would have gone with the killer whale because there was two of them, and they ended up poning the oct- octopus at the end. No way, Orca fucking's best in bed. I would have gone with the baby carriage. What is Dingus on about, Kelly Wand? <laughs> so at any rate, my no, number three on the poster, like the tentacle grabs a baby and I'm a baby. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. Oh right, right. Yeah, there's, there's Dingus pretending he's seen tentacles. <laughs> uh, all right, so my number three pick is the the reference to Casablanca in When Harry Met Sally. I don't feel that movie deserves it, and I'm as enraged as you guys were about Prometheus. Oh, you you didn't remember that? That's my problem with you as a person. <laughs> I remember it now. Uh, so, Dingus, your number two is Prometheus. So, Kelly Wan, that's what your number two pick of a movie within a Wait, movie that you don't like. Is it Dingus's number three next? Dingus's number three was Lethal Weapon. His number two pick oh, is yeah. Prometheus, which he shares with your number three choice. So, Kelly Wan, what's the second most enraged that you get about a movie being uh, portrayed in another movie? I like. Okay, I'm going to do a line from it. Yes, you are. Beep, beep, meep, beep, merp, bloop. <laughs> Eva, Eva. Why do you hate damn Yankees being referenced in Walt? Oh, is that what it was? I thought it was Showboat. Because um, I don't like a live action and animation movies, and I don't like uh, robots that can't dance liking our movies. I don't like when aliens robots think our old movies are awesome. I'm sick of it. <laughs> Same thing as Prometheus again. Okay, well. I, don't like it. I think it threw off the style of the movie, and then later on. How did you feel about Fred Willard appearing uh, in that Weird. Movie? But less weird than. Than Wally watching Showboat. It's uh, Hello Dolly. He's watching Hello Dolly, isn't he? Oh. No, it's Damn Yankees. Or no, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. It's, I love it's that a, moment. I mean, that's a beautiful. Uh, yeah. Too easy. Kelly, Kelly it's, the same shit. 
It's the same thing. Remember in the Tron Legacy when oh. he, uh, Garrett Hedlund, Garrett Dillahead, Dillahead Hedlund. Oh, Bo, Bo Garrett. Past, yes, Garrett. Bo Garrett. Yeah. He's walking <laughs> along a, a bookcase Huge in Jeff Bridges' Matrix house. And he's all, Dostoevsky. Oh, wait. I thought you were talking about the Bo Garrett, the hot chick. I don't want to talk about Garrett Dillon or Garrett. What's the other dude's name? Garrett Hedlund. Hedlund. Garrett Hedlund. Oh my God, he would have been so great in that movie. That would have been the best Garrett to go with for the lead actor in Tron. There's only two Garretts to keep track of. I dread a third. But Wait, which are the two to keep track of? Hillahunt and Della when <laughs> Della Tron. Don't forget Garrett uh, Lindelof. Olivia Wild Olivia. Mine. Yeah, how many Olivias are there to keep track? Of? There's like five Jessicas. Okay, how many Olivias? Yeah. There's a lot of Olivias. Yeah, but I think Wilds at the high end. How many directors named Anderson are there to keep track of? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So Billy Wan hates Wally because he's uh, he hates good Pixar movies. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. My number two <laughs> pick. I'll give you guys a line from it. Ready for this? Run, Forest, Run. Oh, wait, what was the movie? This is your number two? Yeah, I really don't like it. Because the movie otherwise is so airtight, I think. And I just don't what? like it. And I feel like, I feel like it's an improv that got slipped in and shouldn't be in there. Oh, uh, wait, there's a, there's a couple movies that mention Forrest Gump. Oh, wait, I thought he was doing Forrest Gump mentioning movie. So let me give you some hints. Uh, this movie is, uh, it's not an alternate reality thing, but it, it's a very, it, it makes no reference to real world places. Actually, kind of does. It, it's a kind of a stylized reality in this world, and one of the actors does this improv, and it directly invokes Forrest Gump. And this character would definitely not be talking about Forrest Gump. Uh, I just feel like it, it breaks. There, there's a director's commentary for The Usual Suspects where Brian Singer at one point calls out a moment where one of the characters talks about the Hulk. And, and Brian Singer says, you know, I really wish I hadn't put that line in there. It's a pop culture reference. Uh, I don't feel that it belongs in the story I was trying to tell. So I feel that way. <laughs> the Hulk. About. Oh, the, the movie I'm thinking of is Due Date, I think. Doesn't Due oh, Never mind. That, I don't care. If, if Due Date wants to do Tom a Hulk reference it. or a Forrest Gump reference, I'm yeah. fine. I have but no what, idea what you're talking about. What I don't yeah, is, a, is a Forrest Gump reference in Fight Club when Brad Pitt takes the driver's license from the Vietnamese store owner and he does that thing where he makes him think he's going to kill him and if he doesn't re-enroll in veterinary school, he's going to hunt him down because he has right. stress. And then he, That's all bullshit. And then right. he tells the guy to run off and while the guy is running off, Brad Pitt says, and I think I might have heard or read somewhere this was an improv, Brad Pitt says, run, Forrest, run. And they kept that in there. Well, that's really Ed Norton saying it. Exactly. So. Either way. Yeah. Spoiler alert. So I don't well, is that because there's a, there's a connection between those two movies? Like a thematic connection? <laughs> Lucky, retarded person. Seriously doubt it. Yeah. I seriously doubt it. <laughs> Run, Forest Run. I really don't remember that line. It's not a movie you watch again. Like, there's not, you're going to pick up anything. Fight Club? Oh, you're, I see you're being facetious. Jesus, there. what are you talking about? He's, well, we'll we could have a whole podcast of just movies that reference Fight Club. <laughs> uh, one of the stories I love about Fight Club is that uh, when it was being edited, uh, there's a point where the, the car wrecks, uh, where uh, Brad Pitt is... Uh, is he driving? Yeah, Brad Pitt's driving the car. Edward Norton is riding the passenger seat, and the car wrecks, and it turns over, and then we have a shot of Brad Pitt dragging, dragging Edward Norton out of the car. And the editor, who was working with David Fincher on the film, said, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you've got him dragging him out of the wrong side of the car. 
Like he thought it was a continuity error. And I feel there's so many little touches in, in Fight Club for that kind of thing. Flashback humor. Exactly. exactly. So it's too good a movie. How many for times have I, had I seen Fight Club before I actually heard that line or, or understood what the heck was going on with it when Brad Pitt says, oh, flashback humor? Because it's so muted, that line, by the way. It's not even a full bit of dialogue. I don't even think he's on screen. You can barely hear that line. That's a great little what? touch. I heard it the first time. Well, maybe you watched it closer than me. Shut up. <laughs> I don't remember Run Forest Run, though. Yeah, see? <laughs> and you didn't remember fucking Lawrence of Arabia, which I will never forget. Yeah, I, I have successfully scrubbed that. Have you ever met anyone who watches Prometheus again? Because I have. Sure there are some people. You should say you have? You've watched yeah, it I have. again? Yeah, and they go, I see something new every time. And I'm like, what? And I just tell, and I'm not even attacking you. I just tell me one thing, and then they just get like a... They, they ignore me. Okay. <laughs> Like, all right. Well, speaking of ignoring Kelly Wan, Dingus, what is your number one pick for a movie reference and a movie reference that you don't That like? is totally ignoring me. I'm so happy you picked a movie you really like because my number one is a movie I absolutely love. Um, and here's the movie reference I don't like. Shut it, love, actually. Want me to pun- <laughs> hole punch your face? Why do you not like that reference? It's an awesome reference. Do you not like the White Stripes reference in that movie, Dingus? Uh, White Stripes is just fine, because there's only two members of White Stripes, as we know. <laughs> What's your problem with that? Give it to – oh, because you love the movie. I see. Dingus is being sensitive about his movie being picked on, because he loves Love right. Actually. I, I love Love Actually, and I don't like you using it as a little glib moment, Mr. Uh, Paul Higgins. Whoa. So, <laughs> Wait a minute. Am I thinking of the wrong movie? No, you're right. With Paul Higgins. Paul Higgins played so Jamie McDonald in um in in the loop. <laughs> See, Kelly, why you lost? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, Kelly so what McDonald. Is, what? It, tell us the context of the line and uh, and why it would chafe a love actually fan. <laughs> why it would be the wrong one? So so Jamie McDonald is Malcolm's uh, right hand man, and he's uh, he's talking to um, Toby Wright, I think. And uh, Toby Wright is talking about, you know, just being nice. And he says, you know, shut it, love, actually. Which is just, I think, a glib way of treating a movie I really like. I like love, actually. Do it in the right voice, Dingus. Come on. Not going to do that. But what I found out when I was looking looking up this, when I was, because I just remember this movie, and it kind of always grated on me. It just seems like, it seems like just an easy little joke. But, I mean, there's a lot of that in in the loop, and that's fine. Um, But also, Inuchi calls this moment where you know, remember the moment where um where peter capaldi's walking in front of the white house and he's talking on his cell phone uh-huh. to uh to what's her name running on the bridge in england and she's telling him about where he is uh he calls that his love actually moment wait what i don't understand that i don't either but this moment where two characters are talking on the cell phone oh. and having this glib conversation uh back and forth you know, across the pond or whatever he calls that in love actually a moment in the movie that's how because, that's he considers it because love actually is glib exactly right but i i really do i i was really surprised when i watched love actually how much i really really liked it i was expecting to hate it i loved it i know tom absolutely hates this movie so um uh when in the loop in this in this moment when jb mcdonald screams at toby wright you know shut it love actually Want me to hole punch your face? I I find that a little bit of an annoying uh, reference. So there you go. My number so, one is a movie I love that uh, denigrates a movie I love. Uh, Kelly, Wand, have you seen In the Loop? Yeah. Uh, the I I I love Malcolm. <laughs> of course he has. He's 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 the uh, perpetrator of fuckity 
right. Kelly Wine misquotes it regularly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so, Kelly Wine, now to you. What is your your favorite instance of a movie referenced in a movie that you didn't like? What did Iron Man call Thor again in Avengers? Shakespeare in the Park. Point Break. No, did he call Point, point Break? break. Yeah, yeah, that's a good line, huh? Is that your pick? That, you hate that reference. Yeah, that's the one I like. Break. You have a great swing, Point Break. I just wanted to remember it. Uh, my number one is. Uh, Look at Jake, yeah. By the way, he's uh, no reindeer uh, games. Yeah, listen to Kelly. Oh, very nice. Yeah, listen to Kelly Wan speaking fondly of the Avengers. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. I love that. It's just Iron Man. Yeah. The rest of it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Get angry. I'm always angry. Whatever. <laughs> see, whatever, right there. Whatever, Kelly you could have come up with a better line. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's kind of funny. On. It's got two good seconds in it, that movie. Whatever. <laughs> Touche. What if Wally's name? Never mind. Okay, I was so just you're... picturing whatever written with height. Okay, my number one is Butch Cassidy, and this means war. Oh, okay, good. At the at the video store. Oh, because they're renting. Now she's dancing and eating popcorn, not listening to it or watching it, while the agents move shit around her living room. Well, they have that whole scene in the video store. Is, the, is yeah, but then she's actually watching it later. But she's not really watching. But it's on in the background in her living room. All right. Huh. Huh. Okay. I, I don't know why you want to denigrate a great movie like This Means War. <laughs> Because she, it's not, well, I think it's supposed to be a sign of her quirkiness, like this is what makes her, but then she's dorking out on it, right? Isn't she? I thought there was she, a bunch of, there was a reference to some Hitchcock movie. There is, but in the sort of Diablo Cody kind of way. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because mine is a Diablo Cody reference, and it is in Juno. I hate that little exchange with uh, Ellen Page and, oh. and um, uh, Paul um, so Bateman, not not Justin Bateman, <laughs> Justin Bateman's brother. Help me, Justine Bateman. No, but the Justin's name Bateman. is Paul. No, right, uh, Bateman. This is Jason. The- Jesus, you guys are terrible at this. This You're is what- like two hours of gibberish. This podcast. It's like <laughs> so nothing. Exchange it's old men going. What was that thing from ten years ago? At Adventures, dude. <laughs> God. Bad for people listening to this. Sorry. Uh, I, I hate Mostly the bit me. with Ellen Page and Jason Bateman where she's in his house. Jason. Oh, go ahead. It's a, what Jason. do you mean, Jason Bateman? I thought you were. T- go ahead. I thought you were talking about the one with Polly Bleaker, but go ahead. No, no. This is where uh, uh, Juno has, has gone over to see uh, Jason Bateman and Jennifer Warner. Jennifer Warner's not there. And it's where Garner. What? Garner. Garner. Sorry. She wanders into dirty dancing somehow. (laughs) Jennifer Grey. No, so anyway, I got the names that are relevant to this scene I did get right. I will have you know. At any rate, Ellen Page and Jason Bateman, uh, it's the scene where they're starting to connect over, over, uh, at first over a a carpenter song that Sonic Youth does a cover for. Fine, whatever. That works. But then, at some point, she sees a video on his table of a, a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. And if you don't, if you know who Herschel Gordon Lewis is, by the way, the guy was a hack, and there's no redeeming value in the kind of trash he did. He he did a movie called Wizard of Gore, which I, I don't even I haven't even seen it. I've seen <laughs> Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff before, and everything I've seen is just junk. There's there's nothing to it. But Jason Bateman's Wizard character is apparently. Is, is apparently really into Herschel Gordon Lewis. And they have a brief argument where Juno 
presents that uh, Dario Argento, the Italian horror movie director, is better than Herschel Gordon Lewis, which there's no comparison whatsoever there. That's that's ridiculous. So he makes her sit down and watch Wizard of Gore. And as she's watching it, she says, quote, yeah, this is even better than Suspiria. Ew. Quote. Exactly. Terrible. Ooh, it's terrible. Because Suspiria, I, I've seen recently. I didn't. I don't know a lot of Dario Argento, but Suspiria is really good. Like it's it got it has some cool, clever stuff in it. It's not just crazy, over the top gore. It's got some creepy stuff in it. Um, I love the production design. Wizard of Gore has nothing whatsoever to recommend it. Herschel Gordon Lewis has never made a movie that someone like Jason Bateman's character would watch, much less enjoy. So there. That well, that, is it? Are we supposed to go, boy, she's wrong, she's young, that's pregnancy for you. We're supposed to think, thanks, Diablo Cody. That's what we're supposed to think, Kelly Warren. So it's Diablo Cody just recommend, just, what? It says a lot about Diablo Cody's taste. That's one of the things, I mean, Juno has a kind of stylized approach to dialogue and his characters are hip and they speak like they've been written for rather than their actual characters. It's not naturalistic, exactly. But I think that that's what you're seeing there, is you're seeing... Diablo Cody basically writing characters as, as a manifestation of her own taste. You know, if she wants to put in a reference to horror movies, for whatever reason, she's going to talk about Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, and it, it doesn't ring true. Anybody who's really into horror, I think, would think it's ridiculous. Um, and it, it enrages me like Prometheus did you guys. So that. <laughs> That's remi- that reminds me of that moment in Warm Bodies where... Yep. Uh-oh. All right. That's what I... Th- yeah. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. I want. Yeah, I, mean, I, pop, I want to go. I'm ready to hate what Dingus is going to remind me of. This is a- I just remember Tom objecting to that moment where she picks up the the. Is it a DVD? I think it's a a, 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 zombie. Or, it's a guy named Fulci who did some Italian Fulci, zombies. yeah. And I think it's one of his movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she picks it up like as if she knows what it is, and she exactly. Think, yeah, exactly. Just like you know, they're hip. They're hipsters. But the the moment in Juno, I thought you were when you talked about Juno, I, I just remembered uh, Polly, uh, Michael Sierra's character, saying something about her. I, I knew you weren't bored because the Blair Witch Project was on TV, and you were going <laughs> to... He blathers on about the Blair Witch Project for a minute, and it's just like a toss. It's like uh, Diablo Cody just saying, hey, I know about the Blair Witch Project. And that would be fine. At least Diablo Cody's got that going for her. Wait, what's he say about it? I think it depends on what they actually say. Before I can but make a rule, it's when they're they're having some sort of argument about getting. Uh, I don't I don't know. It's later in the movie when they're talking about getting married or something, and he says, uh, you, "You weren't bored that day. Blair Witch Project was coming on cable or whatever, and I fun. and I haven't seen this since it came out, and blah blah blah, and la la la. It, it's it's really the the dialogue is really like la 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 blah blah blah. But Take he the just fuck in the creek. He just throws away uh, Blair Witch Project in the middle of this. It's not a setup for a later thing. Where no, no, it's just she has the baby in the woods. It's just her throwing a movie reference in. Kelly Wan, you know how Diablo Cody works. Of course, it's not a setup for something later in the movie. Yeah. It's it's a hip reference. And actually, you know what? I don't want to bag too much on Diablo Cody because unlike some people on this podcast, I really liked Jennifer's body. What do you think of that, Kelly Wan? And un- un- unlike name. you people, I loved Juno. It's right there on my shelf next to. Love Actually. Our only good work was in Evil Shut it, Love Actually! <laughs> what do you think of that, Dingus? Did yeah, that bring you back? It's not quite Scottish enough. 
So Jonathan J. Lando Dupratna writes to us. By the way, I don't know if it's, is this creepy? When people send us, uh, email over Gmail, sometimes it shows their pictures. Jonathan J. Lando Dupratna looks to me like, uh, like A.J. Bowen. Who's AJ Bowen? <laughs> Who's AJ Bowen? From uh, yeah. Your Next, from A Horrible Way to Die, from The Signal, oh. uh, from House of the Devil. He's the Are You the Babysitter guy. That's how most of our listeners look, I would think. We're good. Jonathan J. Lando Dupratna here says these are my worst film within a film moments. He structured his list so that the film within is always better than the film you're watching. Okay, yeah. it's a little complex, but we'll see if it uh, if it works. He writes, a bit of a cheat right off the bat with my number three, because the film within does not exist yet. But in Last Action Hero, there's a trailer for Arnold Schwarzenegger's <laughs> Hamlet. Yeah. This is my worst list because I w- this is on my worst list because I would much rather be watching that than Last Action Hero. I feel I haven't seen it in a long time, but I feel Last Action Hero has an unfair reputation as a crappy movie. I think Zach Penn was trying to do some clever stuff with it. Are, are you with me? Yeah. It's I, got I a couple tend to funny agree parts. with you. I think it jumps the shark after a certain point when they come back into the real world, but there's some funny movie bits. But I was getting what you were what he was writing about mixed up with Demolition Man when Stallone sees like a President Schwarzenegger button or something. Well, to get I mean, uh, Demolition Man people rightly make fun of, and it's ridiculous. It's kind Taco of a Bell, man. movie, but I don't I don't think that's the case with Last Action Hero. I think there yeah, is. I like them both. So I wonder. Twice. I wonder if it's cleverer than I thought it was when I saw it. I remember hero? really. Yeah, I remember really not liking it. But I remember all that meta stuff now. Like with that, the, there's there's like a stand up in the video store with um, Stallone as ah, Terminator. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, and I'm wondering. It's Bridget Wilson's it, first movie too. If now from the, from this point of view, if it. If it's more clever than I remember, remember liking the car chase, and then they they fall into the tar pits, and then the kid's like, "Wait, this, none of this can be real." Well, I just remember the kid riding his bike and going, "I'm fine. I'm a sidekick. Wait, I'm the comic sidekick." And I, there are little things I remember that I remember being amused by, and I wonder if it's better than I thought it was. I think it is. I'm going to go. Apparently, Jonathan J. Pratno, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna disagrees. All right. Uh, he writes in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, my number two pick, the lead from Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street walks in on her child watching the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And when she tries to stop him, he flips out. <laughs> really? That's interesting. I like these choices. <laughs> this makes me think of After Earth. For that either. Uh, He's Dr- watching, so that, yeah, that's the movie that takes place when they're shooting the new one. <laughs> Never mind. Topping my list, topping my list, he writes, is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Not the worst horror film, but it is very generic and was made without Michael Myers. It's in its place are robots and masks and in classic shoot yourself in the foot stratagem. The film shows characters in the film watching the original and superior Halloween film. Or maybe they just wanted to coast by with you thinking about a better film than the one you're watching. Right. It's pretty Wanda, I bet you want to defend that. Mm, it's dumb, but it's it's dumb in a really weird way that okay. we'll never see again. Wait, which part? And also, Stonehenge is in it. I think I have a weakness for Stonehenge themed horror movies. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> uh, okay, and it's I, robots and bombs. Okay, yeah. I uh, apologize for mangling this name, but uh, Sandu Bogi Nas. I gosh, I, I really apologize, Sandu. I 
mangled that, I'm sure. Uh, writes, oh, he writes by opening with an apology to me. So we're even, Sandu. Uh, he writes, number three, all apologies, Tom, but of the three Star Wars references in Armageddon, the worst must be when AJ and Oscar are in the working on stuff montage, where AJ, played by Ben Affleck, says to Owen, played by Owen Wilson, says to Oscar, played by <laughs> Owen Wilson, AJ okay. says, <laughs> Uncle Owen. AJ says, if anybody's anybody, I'm Han, and you're, you're Chewbacca. And Oscar says, Chewie, have you even seen Star Wars? Except he does it in his Owen Wilson voice, which I can't quite approximate. Uh, why, do, why does Sandu hate that? That's a great one. No, it's not. It is. It doesn't mean anything. Dude. It's totally pointless. Characters riffing why on Star like Wars, it? that's gold. That is solid gold. That is What's the that foundation. Like? Kelly Wan, yeah. that is the foundation for 80% of... Of Kevin Smith's work. Yeah, exactly. Kevin oh, Smith's work. Touche. And which, which I will complain about momentarily. Sandu writes number two. Um, I don't know. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I don't like this. Sandu writes, and I'm going to try to approximate his dismay in my reading here. here here's Sandu. He's writing, <laughs> quote, Dismay. He's writing, oh, God, really? I mean, really? You are going to have a character nicknamed The Tank wearing a Fight Club T-shirt in the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Sorry, but just no. See, I told you. Simon Kinberg. Uh, And then Sandu's number one pick, he writes, Oh, John Travolta, most of us love a good Royale with cheese line when said first in Pulp Fiction. But when you say it again in the truly awful From Paris with Love... It's just downright stale. Wait, what's that movie? From Paris with Love is uh, is isn't it where Travolta's the villain and he shaves his head or yes. or no he's like a rogue CIA agent with a shaved head and there's some younger actor in it like Ryan Philippe but not him. Uh, John Rice Myers. Oh, that sounds like that. right. Yeah, that sounds right, Dingus. It's like a John Woo knockoff. I've never heard of this movie. He looks weird when he shaves his head. He should do it. Well, that's my advice to him. All right, if you're listening, John, ease up in the razor. Uh, well, he's, he well, kn- he's well known as not having any hair so when he shaves his head it's just going back to his natural state Paul, what about yep. in Expendables 2 when Arnie's keeps saying I'll be back 60 times does that count? maybe, maybe that's come up in someone else's yeah. oh, come on sorry. Paul Weimer writes, uh, it's easier to find clever uses of movies within movies, but here goes, and yes Paul you're right it is easier but I see Paul Weimer's risen to the challenge his number three pick in the player the plot revolves around Tim Robbins' Griffin Mill tracking down a vengeful screenwriter at a screening of The Bicycle Thief. For a movie about movies, this seems awfully <laughs> random. Is it supposed to be a, quote, good film as opposed to the direct that Griffin greenlights? I don't know. It would have been much better if the movie used something much less pulled off the shelf. A Hitchcock film, for example, would have been perfect. Yeah, who's who's ever seen The Bicycle Thief? Kelly, I don't Wood, know. Have no, you, I haven't. Dingus, have you seen The Bicycle Thief? Of course I have. What? That's I expected that answer. Yes, yeah, I guess someone is it has, good then? Yeah, you've not. Yeah, what? Tell us about The Bicycle Thief. You never yeah, mentioned it. I haven't seen it since college. Jeez. Did you have That's to watch it in class or something? Yeah. No, I know. We just had a uh, down on Duke of Gloucester Street. There's a, a revival theater, and we go. See you actually went out to see The Bicycle Thief. Yeah. You're in college. What else are you gonna do? Yeah, that's a good point. But is it good, like, a surprisingly... The French one's always... I couldn't figure them out. It's Italian, isn't it? Oh. The guy steals a bicycle. What are you going to do? It's Italian, isn't it? Yeah. He looks at that guy and he says... (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I had a continental drift. So, Dingus, while we're sharing tales about the experimentation we did in college, I did in college see uh, Grand Illusion. (laughs) I like that movie. (laughs) What? You've seen it? I like it. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of anyone who's like a real person. Jean Renoir. No, that one I kind of liked. I have to admit, it, I forget everything I said earlier about French people. Wow. That's a good one. But its I forget why I liked it. It's just about a weird dinner party. Grand Illusion? It's about World War One. I, I think. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but well, right. So I don't even know what World like, War it is. Is it one or two, Kelly Wand? It's one. I don't think France likes to dwell on two because they got <laughs> bitched on that one. And the first one, they kind of pwned. The second one's more about us. Paul Weimer writes for his number two, quote, My dislike of the movie Twilight got a ping when, in the blind wow. side, it is randomly being watched on TV when Sandra Bullock's character brings Michael to her home for the first time. I suspect it was some sort of cross-studio plug. What about when Halle Berry asks the 911 girl, Hey, remember Bridesmaids? We saw it. Oh, yeah, I like oh, that one. Ouch. Though. That's a good one. Oh, wait. Ouch. Is that an ouch? No, I like it's a that. good one. Yeah, that's a good one, Kelly Wand. It's another example of... And that girl, really, really, Kelly Wand, you're calling her that girl? Well, just like... Abigail Breslin has become Abigail Breslin. to you. Well, Halle Berry's... I don't know anybody's names. <laughs> Paul Weimer's number one. Oh, wait a minute. I've sat... Ooh. Okay. Paul Weimer's number one. In the movie Charlie's Angels... Uh. Drew Barrymore's near-naked entrance into the, quote, E.T. living room, end quote, complete with Reese's Pieces and a poster of E.T., felt out of place rather than a clever homage to her first movie role. Maybe if she wasn't mostly undressed, the homage might not have felt skeevy. Yeah, I didn't notice anything in that scene except her knobs. I actually did not realize that there was an E.T. reference in Charlie's Angels. I I obviously need to watch her. Wait, the same living room? Who knows that? Like... I mean, McGee's douchey enough to do it, I guess, but like... Oh, we'll find out if he's going to do anything like that with Kevin Costner in the movie uh, Three Days to Kill, which comes out next month. What do you think of that, Kelly? Uh, A new McGee movie. I like... Well, good. I want to do more Costner. Can we hear a little bit of Costner voice, by the way, Kelly Wand? What's his number one? Tom? (laughs) I forgot your name, sorry. (laughs) I knew it wasn't Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Someone with the awesome email... uh, name Joey Bag of Donuts writes to us, Hey guys, I could only think of two. In Tango and Cash, Sylvester Stallone <laughs> says Rambo is a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> and then in Maverick, Lethal Weapon references it when Danny Glover robs a bank. Yeah, that's the horrible Richard what? Donner one. Oh yeah, wait, what it, was the... Yeah. It's horrible. Oh, it's such a horrible moment. Well, it's a period piece, so it seems weird that well, it reference a movie. Danny... No, well, Danny Glover comes in to rob the bank, and and of course Mel Gibson's in there, and right. and yeah. and Danny Glover has a mask on, you know, like a like a bandana over the lower part of his face, and uh, and and Mel Gibson's like, I, I recognize you, and they, uh, and and the worst. Oh my God, that sounds awful. Go oh, on. Jesus. The most horrible part is that, and, and I, I mean Jesus, I haven't seen Maverick in forever, but. As I remember it, I, and I loved the, the Lethal Weapon music, but but at this moment in Maverick, I think oh, Richard no. Donner feathers in the Lethal Weapon no. weird music. No! Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It, it does happen. And I think, I think Danny Glover even says, uh, I'm too old for this shit at, at some point in the scene. Wow. 
but but I totally through. remember the this great bluesy weird Lethal Weapon score being grafted into Maverick. Wow! All right, it's terrible. It's a terrible moment. <laughs> right. It's so terrible. Oh my god. Uh, Chris Hornbossel writes uh, number three. I still really like a lot about the movie Hugo. Oh, jeez. Okay. I never saw it. Uh, well, apparently Chris Hornbostel still likes a lot about it, so Kelly Wand, he maybe recommends it. Uh, but, he writes, I have to admit that Martin Scorsese really started laying it on too thick in the ponderous second half of the movie. Even if the audience wasn't familiar with the films of George Melier, they understood their importance pretty quickly. Even so, the film contrives to have us meet a film scholar who then has an extended memory flashback that turns into an improbable documentary montage of Melier's films. While I applaud the message of film preservation, a clumsy movie becomes a drunken dancing bear on ice skates at this point. Wait, is uh, that, was that something people used to watch? They'd get a bear drunk? <laughs> <laughs> Seems cruel and hard to control, but... Uh, Chris writes uh, that he submitted this with a, Chris Sorry. writes that he submitted this with a heavy heart today because of the recent death. Kelly Wand, you are making jokes during a somber moment, and I, you've got me laughing before I'm about to mention the death of Maximilian Shell. I hope you feel bad. Oh, they're going to see Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, we'll get to that soon enough. Yeah, right. uh, so Chris Horn also writes because of the recent death of Maximilian. <laughs> now I feel bad for Maximilian Shell, but go on for having uh, said that. He writes, I rewatched the 1990 movie The Freshman. To me, the best bit of movie in movie in that film isn't Brando's sly, self-referential performance, but rather how his two family members, Penelope Ann Miller and Bruno Kirby, have characters that totally know about The Godfather and try to shush Matthew Broderick from pointing it out. Uh. It helps sell the idea of the movie as a long con being played on Broderick, in fact. And then we get a scene where Penelope Ann Miller comes to fetch Broderick out of film class, and the class is discussing The Godfather. Uh. And Professor Paul Benedict actually knows who Carmine Sabatini is. It's too much, and it breaks the fragile circle of people who might be in on the game up until then. Sadly, it's a signal that the fairly inspired but taut lunacy of the script to that point is about to get inconsistent going forward. Oh my god, i got to change my number one, I just realized. Uh, I totally well, agree with, disagree with them on that. I think that, I think that Yeah, I think that works perfectly. And, and, but Maximilian Schell is wonderful in that movie. It, yeah, oh, he is such great, he's so great, he's so joyful and weird in it. Fantastic job, young man. I love uh, I love The Freshman so much. And I think that weird, I think that's just part of the weird farcical nature of that movie is the, is that film class. I think that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I respect it. I respect the choice, but, but I just disagree. What about Goodfellas and the family? Or De Niro's uh, explaining. Never mind. Is it Goodfellas reference in the family? Man, I'm, I'm glad I forget these things. De Niro is. They watch it and then they ask. Oh, that's right. Oh yes. Jesus. Oh, oh my Jesus. God. Kelly Wan. Oh, Kelly, you just made. You just broke the top. Yeah, I did. The that is the best one. Well done. Kelly Wan, explain real quick what that is. Let's just oh take a break God. from Chris Hornbostel's okay. submissions. Uh, De Niro plays an actual mafia dude who moves to Italy and then joins a film well, class. France, close enough. France, Italy. I get this two big step repeatedly per podcast, and then they watch Goodfellas, and then De Niro. And they don't. We don't get to see them watch it, and then De Niro explains how it really was in front of an audience of people in front of an audience. Although he's talking about his real life and not Goodfellas. 
So it's even more. Oh, that is so pathetic. What a murder that movie. Kelly, that is the perfect. That's that the really perfect. is. Yeah. You just that was topic. excruciating. Yeah, is, sorry about that. Absolutely. I probably want to feel like I don't even want to read Chris Hornbostel's number one pick now. No one picked it because no one saw it but us. That's Damn true. <laughs> They're lucky. Uh, look, look, look at them. Uh, Chris <sighs> Hornbostel's number one pick. He writes, "Homage turns to slavish bootlicking in the Gremlins when the film marquee in town says it's showing the movie A Boy's Life and." Watch the Skies. Those were the working titles, respectively, of E.T. and Close Encounters. It's just an excessive, unnecessary brown-nosing to executive producer Spielberg. It was, uh, Watch the Skies was going to be a horror movie like Dark Skies, and then it somehow morphed into E.T. Did you know that? I did not. Um, please care. I'm afraid I don't. Okay, please continue then. <laughs> I'm afraid I don't. Uh, runners up. Here's something that I have a question about. I constantly see in movies people watching Night of the Living Dead to the point that I'm thinking, is Night of the Living Dead somehow public domain at this point? <laughs> it might very well be. Yeah, I think it's why. That's why they made the remake. That's why Tom Savini made the uh, color one, so that Romero would get a cut or something. Are you are you being serious? Yeah, I am. I remember hearing oh. about this, or them saying it at the time. Like they said, they even said that in the copy, like like yeah, we made this because we, so we get some dough on the old one because we don't. I think it is in the public domain. Huh? Why would it be in the public domain? Because of how old he, it is? Or well, because it was made on it was it was such a low profile thing at the time that no one expected to make. No, money. I think I think it's not that. I I think he didn't properly right. protect it. Oh. Yeah. You didn't that's, think about it. That's a I, don't, I, I don't think it's protected property. Yeah. Because don't you guys see it all the time? There's people watching. Night yeah, of, but that's one of, reason why. It's where the, the Happy Birthday song people pay for, but Night of the Living Dead they don't. Could yeah. you hum a few bars of that, Kelly Wand? Mm. No, don't. We can't afford it. Don't. Night of the Living Dead. Living Dead. We already have to pay so much of the proceeds for this podcast to Britney Spears. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, runners up from you, gentlemen. Uh, I have three. Um, for, uh, first of all, you you mentioned clerks. I uh, uh, aside from the referencing the construction workers on the Death Star, uh, I get annoyed at the Jaws reference in Salsa Shark. I just I just think it's just lazy writing in Salsa Shark. What are you even saying? In the movie Clerks, there's there were, there's a moment where where a dude puts a, um, a tortilla chip in a and a thing of salsa, and he just moves it around, and you hear like Donna, Donna, Donna. We're gonna need a bigger boat, salsa shark. By the way, there's Dingus once again saying the line wrong. Oh, what is it, Tom? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Oh, Kelly, why explain why that's funnier? Because <laughs> uh, Kevin Costner said it wrong in the movie directed. <laughs> anyway, the line uh, is not "We're gonna need a bigger boat," but someone people are always doing that. You're, gonna, you're need gonna need a bigger, a bigger boat. boat, and Kelly Wan rightly pointed out that's funnier because it makes it clear that Brody thinks they're gonna drop him off at shore when they get the yeah. bigger boat, and that they're gonna go out and kill the shark. <laughs> and when and when quizzed on it on this very podcast, I'm the only one who got it right. So, bleh. Um, um, is there a later scene too where, as the dialogue's fading out, he's all no, seriously, bigger boat, guys. Is that but when the like, shooting star gets CG'd into the sky? Ew. <laughs> That's in Jaws. There's definitely a Spielberg shooting star in Jaws. Did I tell you so? Never mind. It's too boring. Bring up. Uh, uh, your other runners up, Dingus. Uh, the other one is uh, in a, in the movie Aladdin. Um, Sebastian the crab gets pulled out 
and it's just a stupid cameo from Little Mermaid in a terrible. There's a great movie called Little Mermaid and a terrible movie called Aladdin, and Sebastian the crab gets thrown or thrown aside at this terrible moment. I hated that, and <laughs> I know not, I don't remember hating it. But I, I hated it because uh, Robin Williams is just insufferable. I can't stand the guy, um, except hey, in uh, Father of the Year. And um, and then I hate I absolutely cannot stand in um, Home Alone. It's an, it's it's this use of angels with dirty faces. Although I think it's called angel. It's it's changed into angels with filthy faces or something like that. <laughs> That's really hard, a veiled that reference. Right. Um, I thought that was a fake movie that he was watching in Home Alone. That's it's a real it's, thing. It's, it's Angels with Dirty Faces, but they changed the title of it to Angels with Filthy Faces. And they, the crooks haven't seen it, even though it's a crook movie. Right. They don't go, wait a minute, he's still the... All right. But there's no reason that a kid home alone is watching this old and they, and white movie yeah, exactly. on the TV and, and making somehow making it so that the crooks think he's shooting them. And I, I always just... Yeah, he's somehow timing the movie dialogue... When the show's on to coincide with whatever lines he needs to exactly. execute his plan. Right. Uh, guys, so so the two things I immediately thought of when Tom uh, brought up this topic was that Home Alone, Angels with Dirty Faces, and I forgot it had been changed to Angels with Filthy Faces or whatever they fucking call it, and uh, and uh, the Lethal Weapon thing I brought up earlier. Jeez, Ding is dropping an F bomb. Speaking of filthy, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, I apologize. That's a level <laughs> drop. That's a level drop. <laughs> uh, all right, so there we go. Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us about next week's three by three? All right, bringing the room down. Uh, as it turns out, last night or this morning, I'm not sure which. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, was found dead in his apartment. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of our favorite actors. Um, He's uh, he was 46 years old, and he was just found dead. So as we did with Paul. Oh Walker. no! You didn't know that. Know. Kelly? Did you really not know about Philip? No, Hoffman? no, I did, but I'm just oh, like, oh. are we going to do that? Like every time someone dies. Not every time, but but. Um, <laughs> Paul Walker and Philip When Paul all Walker right. died, we didn't mention it at all, and and people in the uh, comment thread sort of said, "Why didn't you guys say anything?" And and I think we all kind of felt like, well, it would have been a little bit, I don't know, glib or weird for us just yeah. to mention it out of the blue and talk about it. Um, and then the next week, Tom had a really good idea of saying, well, let's sort of do our level, uh, our our type of memorializing by saying, let's just say our favorite Paul Walker moments. So for next week, we'll do the same thing for Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, I know it's very very close to when he died. I feel terrible about it. Um, but I, I love this guy, and I really cannot stand the fact that he's now not with us any longer. So uh, so for next week, we'll talk about our favorite Phil Seymour Hoffman moments in movies. And I kind of feel, uh, I don't know if other people feel the same way, but when I, you know, none of us knew him as, as a person, but he was in a, in a way as, as people who love movies, and the same was certainly true of Paul Walker. He was a part of our lives, yeah. In the way that, that yeah. the great actors can be. So when now that he's passed, that he's dead, and we're not going to have any more movies from him, it makes me want to go back and see movies. You know, that as, as part of processing what happened. And I, I hesitate to even call it grief, although that's what it is, because I feel like that's a word that should be reserved for people that, that you know, that you actually physically were, were a part of your life. Right. But as, as a way of processing whatever approximation of grief that is, this is, 
and I imagine other people are like this, I want to see Philip Seymour Hoffman movies now. Um, I think and, it's just weird. It's like it's only actors. Like it's not like we did a Tony Scott thing or. But the the thing know. is, if you if you've ever acted in something, um, no. when somebody come, th- there's a moment where somebody comes up to you and they talk to you as if they have a relationship with you. Yeah. They they just have this assumption that because they saw you even on stage or, or on something on screen that. You have a relationship with them, and there's a there's a there's an assumption of intimacy. It's kind of weird. Um, so I think it's different than with I've never with a director or a writer. Yeah, I've just never understood that. Like, I don't feel that towards actors. I think it's all they're just you know they're they're doing. Well, I would certainly like I I would feel for me it's not any different. Like I I am dreading when Cormac McCarthy dies. Yeah, uh, and I, he's not yeah. an actor at all. He's a writer. Uh, you know, I I think of when someone like one of the Cohen brothers or, or Wes Anderson dies. Uh, I, I, I would definitely feel that. Um, so actors, you're, you're right, Dingus, there's definitely something unique there. But like other creative people, I can – Tony Scott, like I don't mean to be mean or anything. No, I know. I just couldn't think of anything. But I mean – Yeah, Altman. Tony Scott was never that meaningful. Altman, exactly. Like when Altman dies – oh, he did die. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. And we didn't even mention it. <laughs> I know. Because we're dicks. Um, well, I remember with the, the next week after we did the Paul Walker one, it seemed like the listeners didn't say anything. Like we didn't seem to get any like – like, they didn't have any, if I remember right. Oh, right, right. Yeah, we did not get a, a lot of uh, emails. Also, but that's fine. I mean, we did get some people thanking us, saying, hey, that was really touching. Well, we got we got one message saying it was really touching that you guys did that. Someone in the comment section did say when we didn't mention, hey, why didn't you guys talk about that? I got an email. So there are references here and there. Uh, and, and in a way, I don't care. Just for my own purposes, I, I want to yeah. watch Doubt again, for instance. Yeah. So I want to go back and maybe look at some of the things like owning Mahoney or whatever that I only saw once or twice, or people are bringing up Twister. You know, he had that little part in Twister, which I actually, well, this is, I mean, I, I want to go back and look at stuff like that. Now. I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was watching bad Santa last week. It was like Ritter and Bernie Mac are in the scene together. Just like a year later, they were both dead. Yeah. So it seems that kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's a bummer. Uh, you know, I remember him from um, from Scent of a Woman, and not really. Ah, that's the one. Yeah. I was thinking, what's the one where Al Pacino was blind? Right. <laughs> yeah, and really hating that movie, but saying like, "Who's that kid?" You know. I don't think I saw him before Happiness. Well, you know what? Let's talk more particulars about it next week. We will uh, I, just go back. Much to, to choose from. Much, uh, so much to more choose than from. Paul Walker. I mean, Paul Walker did some great stuff, but nothing to the level of what Philip Seymour Hoffman left us with. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's have a conversation about this. And I know you guys listening have got to recall some just powerful Philip Seymour Hoffman moments that really moved you. And I'm not just talking about movies that you liked. We want moments. Like, tell yes, us about. Yeah. You know, when he said this line and when this happened or reacted this way, tell us about moments that you remember. Uh, just send us – you don't have to pick three of them, by the way. A lot of people think they have to pick three things. You don't. Send us one thing, two things. Send us, you know, three if you can think of them. Uh, but whatever whatever comes to mind for you, Minimum we want to hear one. about it, and we would love to hear it. Minimum one. Don't send us zero. <laughs> that yeah. We will not read on the air. Uh, so uh, any picks that you may have, send them to 3 by 3 at quarter dot com. That is the number three, the letter X, the number three, at sign. And then you spell out quarter to three dot com. Uh, next week we are seeing – we talked about this, and I really don't know what to do. I just have – I don't – none of us really has it in us to see Monuments Men for whatever reason. And I know very little about it. Dingus knows very little about it. Kelly Wan watched the trailer. 
But so we're going to do something kind of like we did with Short Term 12, and we're going to see something that we missed that came out last year. So next week, and I think a lot of us don't have a lot of enthusiasm for this either, but we've heard <laughs> enough about it. We're what? curious about it. Next week, we're going to see uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, it's out oh. on CD now, so uh, rent that, or maybe you've already seen it, and uh, join us next week to hear a Dallas Buyers Club podcast, followed by uh, our own memorial to Philip Seymour Hoffman with that 3x3. Three three. <sighs> so, uh, come on, Kelly Wan, it's going to be better. Monuments Men sounds like some really oh, yeah. reverential World War II thing about art or whatever. Right? Come on, you'd rather see Dallas Buyers Club. Kelly Wan, I hear that that Jared Leto is dreamy. I prefer him with one arm. Uh, <laughs> I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Kulonsky. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. I'd do a redheaded kid if he was wearing the flag. Say what is this from? Yeah. Really? Do you not know? I don't know. I don't remember things. Dingus, do you know what this is from? You must. It's from the movie we just saw. Oh, it is. <laughs> uh, this is the soundtrack because I actually love this music. I don't like the movie. Uh, this is the soundtrack from Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, and I didn't even bring that up. By the way, since Brie Larson was so good in Short Term 12, I feel like I kind of now have to see The Spectacular Now. Do you Uh-oh. know she's in that dingus with Shailene Woodley? Hey, oh, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Done and done. Love you long time, Dingus. What you think? That's that's not not what we meant.